Stephen Cluxton is on the pitch. He is togged out for Dublin. Are you sure he's not a mascot, Joe? I am 100% sure he's not a mascot. Stephen Cluxton is part of the Dublin panel today. I'm surprised as anyone, Joe. Subscribe to the OTBGAA podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts. OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition, available now. Alright, very welcome along. We think it's Wednesday. Uh, this is OTBAM. We're here all the way until 10 o'clock this morning. If you want to get involved, feel free. 0879-180-180 is the WhatsApp number or you can leave a comment on the YouTube stream. We're going to look back on Ireland's performance. We're going to look back on Scotland's performance last night. We're going to look ahead to Munster at the weekend. I think it has kind of crept up almost imperceptibly, but the European Cup is back uh, in rugby. We'll have live uh, coverage of the Munster game for you on Off The Ball on Newstalk on Saturday. Uh, and as ever we'd love to hear from you as I said the comments on the YouTube stream youtube.com forward slash off the ball but you need to be subscribed to leave a comment Shane is here Shane good morning to you good morning how are things Colm is here Colm how are you Jordan Shane hello uh, we haven't heard from you about the Ireland game yet Colm it's true yeah it's true I've considered very, thoughts you very strong thoughts and sweep in yeah. at the end and um, decide yeah no we were all wrong all week <laughs> no, no very strong thoughts um, I, I was kind of taken aback by Virgin Media's coverage especially Damien Delaney and Brian Kerr for the simple reason that and I was even talking to Vinnie Perth about this yesterday like uh, the idea oh well we lost the game like you know and it's absolutism at its finest but like ultimately it's a lot of championship players <clears throat> and one league one player starting against a team where six of the 11 played in the World Cup final mm. a few months ago and another three who came on in the World Cup final against Argentina also started the game and also half the team are about to play in the Champions League quarterfinals with their yeah. clubs and it's a lot of championship players and some of whom don't play that regularly even when they're playing at a higher level like Matt Doherty or Seamus Coleman who's coming back from injury. So in many ways it was an absolutely remarkable display and had Nathan Collins' header got in at the end we'd be talking about one of the better one-all draws that Ireland specialise in. Mm. And it was, it was a fine line, a fine margin and I think um, I was surprised by really any sort of negativity outside of the result and then you go back to it and you look at it objectively and six months or 12 months down the line, you'll be like, oh, that time we lost at home to France in the first Euro 2024 qualifier. Oh, that was a really poor start. And you look at Stephen Kenny's record, four wins in his 22 competitive games, the highlight being Scotland last summer. So when you look at it from a pure statistical point of view, it continues a very poor run of form from the manager. Mm. But then if you look at a performance... It was a really, really promising Irish display where we tried to play as much football as possible. Too much so that so much so that it actually cost us a goal at the end. But like, how could you not be positive about that display considering the opposition? It's the age old argument, isn't it? Performance versus result. Like, which do you prioritise? Of course we would have loved Daroche's header at the end to go in and get the draw, but like Collins. Or sorry, Collins. Was it Collins? Yeah. It was Collins, yeah, yeah, of course. Um so if that goes in the dynamic, of course, is different. The conversation in the last two days is massively different. But, like, the performance, I think you have to ma- place massive weight on. I don't know what percentage you place on the performance, but uh, I certainly think it's a it's an important discussion because we, if we play like that against Greece and Gibraltar, there's no question we, we win all four of those games. With the same number of shots at France. Ah, oh, when you put, like... Do you know what I mean? It was yeah. just that we we just piled it all in at the end, the last ten minutes. Mm. Because we weren't... There was no threat, really, at the start, and that was the one thing you'd say, like by half time their keeper had nothing to do mm. and so we contained them very well And they, but then as the match went on we, we created a chance it was the same with France now, if they were slightly off 
but they had that class about them too that anytime they wanted to, they could up the gears I thought I thought we were going to get a hiding I really <clears> did I thought they were going to easily pick us off yeah 2 or 3 nil. The, and, on uh, the balance of positive thing on the balance of experience and talent we should have got a hiding but we managed to create a situation where that didn't happen and for that you've got to give the team credit and you've got to give the management credit this whole like oh France were just off because they were just off there was no there's no reason they were off it, it was like an independent thing <laughs> almost like they chose to be off somehow as opposed to Ireland inflicted some things on them uh, you know we managed the space around Mbappe when, when you listened to um, Philippe Auclair yesterday uh, he was like well we've always struggled against a low block you guys put a low block you managed it very well you closed down our space and then afterwards uh, Deschamps analysed the game coldly and said we weren't as good as we could have been but that was largely in part because of the defensive qualities of the opposition mm. that was us that was us he was talking about He was, and it wasn't just a, like an attaboy it was uh, yeah and, and the goalkeeper saved us won three points for us at the end you're like okay so I, I, there's there is still a cohort of people who are completely unwilling to accept that anything good that Kenny does is is down to Stephen Kenny and the environment that he has created and the culture that he has created within the team. Now, in the absence of results, because all those hoary old cliches about football being results business is unfortunately true. In the absence of results, uh, n- people are are never going to believe this. They're they're never going to accept that what Kenny has done uh, in trying to be ambitious for our football culture uh, is is a thing worth doing, right? There's a lot of people who just don't think that's worth pursuing. They they would much rather watch uh, the, the turgid performances that we had under Mick McCarthy. Like, do you remember Mick McCarthy's game against Gibraltar? It'd be really interesting to see how we do oh. against Gibraltar. And, and look, we haven't been great under uh, Kenny against the, the bad teams, but at least when we're going 2-0 up, we're going 2-0 up and then we're conceding two stupid goals. Mm. So let's let's wait and see how we get on against Gibraltar. That'll be a, a proper... Has there been any progress made between... Do you remember? Oh, Matt's already played half a game and Seamus Coleman played at the same time and that never worked again, apparently. Well, yes. It was certainly the narrative around Kylian Mbappe, this idea that, oh yeah, he, he played badly but there's, there's, there's no credit given to Ireland or to Seamus Coleman maybe for... For keeping him quiet, but yeah, I think I think around this Irish team, that's generally the, the negative vibe. It's the it's the Irish way as well to nearly go. Oh well, they must have played badly. We came so close to the World Cup runners up, we can't have possibly played well. <laughs> we we expect an awful lot from our national football team, don't we? We do. I mean, we don't like if you look at it, just like as coldly as possible. Like, there's no way that Ireland should be doing anything really, considering the players they have against the opposition to go up against. Like, mm-hmm. So what you're really looking for is one of two things. You're looking for better football played because they never really played good football. Or you're looking for a good time. You're looking for the party at the national tournaments mm-hmm. or international tournaments. You're looking for that really in the year's moment. That's really all you can hope for because otherwise it's like, well, you, uh, why would we uh, get so uh, upset? Uh, hang on now, because if, if all you want is the reeling in the year's moment, uh-huh. then you can get a, an old school... Wimbledon 1980s style football going uh, your, your working theory that international football is very difficult to have a coherent product the only way to do that is to have like kick and rush push everybody up we could do that mm-hmm. if that's what we want and we could just get like all the big strikers we have yeah. come back Gary Doherty come back uh, Salmon of College you guys can play up front with, with two up front and drop all the good players and just boot, bite and bollock basically be a rugby team we can do that if, if all you want is the moments we can deliver those moments for you no problem yeah but in, 19, in 1988 1994 2002 we had a much better squad yeah. and players available than we do now so it's very difficult to recreate those special moments at the big international tournaments like we saw in Euro 2012 
um, it, it was a disaster. Like, in Euro 2016, we did quite well to beat what was the second string Italy side, but we beat them nonetheless. So, failing all that, wouldn't it be great to actually improve the team from bottom to top? And that's really what Stephen Kenny's trying to do. But what defines Kenny's era so far, there's two games in particular. Monday night's one of them. And then September 2021, away to Portugal, where we played absolutely brilliantly until the very end when Cristiano Ronaldo scored twice and Ireland lose the game 2-1. And if you look at him competitive record, I already mentioned the four wins in 22 competitive games. They've lost seven of the last 15 competitive games, but all by the odd goal. Mm. It's very actually Patrick Vieira, Crystal Palace that we were talking about just before Vieira left was like Palace aren't getting hammered. So it's very difficult to be like, what well, he has to go. And at the end of Giovanni Trapitoni and Martin O'Neill, there were hammerings, but there's been no hammerings under Kenny. Mm. So that's why we're in this kind of grey area. And I think Monday night sums it up. Played well, but lost. I think that there's, a, uh, I know it's an age old discussion and hypothetical, but can you imagine if we didn't have rugby and GAA? Can you imagine if soccer was our only outlet? Now, uh, there, there's a parallel universe out there somewhere where it is the case where we only have a, so- a good soccer team we don't have rugby teams or GEA doesn't get in the way but I think like I, I actually I had a chat with Jonathan Douglas yesterday and it came into my oh, head yeah. where I was like you know he was a really good GEA player but then chose soccer but can you imagine all of these soccer players and the rugby players and GEA players were choosing soccer it's a hypothetical argument but I, like has there ever been a point where we have been the best rugby team in the world and we've had a really good soccer team at the same, po- at the same point in time we're, we're heading in that direction do you know, we are the best rugby team in the world at the moment. Um, and the, the team under Stephen Kenny is it, very good it, without it, results. It was probably the early noughties in, in 2002. Yeah. We had a great one at the World Cup and then a year later we were competing with the Grand Slam in the Six Nations. So it was probably around then, but obviously this rugby team is, is long surpassed that. Yeah. Your point about if rugby GA wasn't played. <laughs> so I mentioned this in, the, in a debate about a year ago with a bunch of friends in a social setting. <laughs> and I suggested that if you can just imagine for a second that we didn't have so many sports in a country so small, i.e. if we didn't really play rugby, our GA wasn't a thing, and we just dedicated ourselves to football, we could potentially be a whole lot better at football. I mean, and my argument was, do we have too many sports available so you can never actually do the 10,000 hours mastery enough yeah, across the nation because it's too much there? Look at Croatia. And so your pub conversation stayed there and no one did any research or talked to any scientists about how actually being good That's at loads boring. of different sports... Yeah about how being good at loads of different sports makes you better at the one that you end up specialising in. Nobody, nobody bothered to read any books or, or Google. They have these, this is a mobile phone and it's connected to the internet and you can type some stuff into it and then all of the world's information is available to you. Oh, wow. okay. that, no, that, that's good. Thanks for that. But there's, um, I would love to know, so you look at the good international sites, the great international teams across the world, Spain. right? Spain. Spain. What do they have? Like what, what do basketball, they have? Basketball, maybe? Yeah. But like England. What, it's, what are they playing? What else are they playing? Well, this is a more question well, than a like, statement. Rugby, France. R- rugby as well for France, but like, then again, we're, we're getting into the area of populations. Yeah, I think, uh, <clears throat> I think, I think we need to drain this back in again. So, <laughs> uh, if you look at New Zealand, for example, um, New Zealand have a, an institute of sport, and so therefore, when anybody is any good at rowing, they get, uh, at, at a certain point, you, you get turned into a rower but they're also amazing at cricket and they're also this is notwithstanding the clear thing that they're the best in the world at uh, over a long period of time so I, I mean actually we benefit from having people be good at loads of different sports we're just not very joined up or haven't traditionally been very joined up at uh, injecting speed into our younger athletes 
early on in their career at making sure that everybody's doing movement skills as opposed to just the the things that uh, is um, good for one individual sport and also we've kind of been scared of coaching we haven't injected coaching into our systems early by making it mandatory to have a full-time PE teacher in primary schools like there's loads of different things that we could do that would completely transform our sporting landscape over the next 15 to 20 years that we're not really that interested in having conversations around yeah okay that's totally fair because I can think of it myself growing up when I was nine years old playing on the under 10 side my local football team we played 11 aside humble brag yeah. 11 aside humble brag I was a child playing sports oh, you 11, 11 aside yeah. in the big goals yeah. so what would happen is you get this overdeveloped young fella who is bigger than all the other kids and he's scoring like double hat-tricks every game because yeah. nobody else can physically keep up with him and all you have to do in big size goals when you're tiny is to shoot either side of the goalkeeper Chip it, yeah. that fella gets trials with Southampton and he's back after two days because they're like this guy can't play ball because we didn't get enough ball at our feet when we were younger and we were playing catch-up that, that, that uh, question about PE and, and the state of PE in Irish schools I know we've had the discussion with Orla Farmer not too long ago but like, what was your PE experience like in school? Because for me it was, and, and I can't speak highly enough of my school or my PE teachers, but it was generally, here's the ball, you lads who are good at sports, go in there and play five aside and just pick your own teams, I'm just going to stand over here, and you lads who are not interested in sport, go upstairs and maybe walk around and maybe play table tennis if you want, or just stand and talk, I don't care. And that's not a, 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 that's not a, a downer on my teachers, again, or my school. It's more just, that is the... That is the, the nature of PE in Irish schools. I think it's it's lazy. It is. But like th- 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 that's why so many people don't get into sport. It's like it's not seen, it's, it's seen as a competitive thing. You either play the five-a-side with, with the lads who are sporty, quote-unquote, and I went to an all-male school, or you, you're not into sport and you go over and stand in the corner, essentially. So it's, I don't know, it, maybe it was different for you lads, but that was my we played, experience. We had PE once a week. It was seen as a treat. Seen as a bit of a das, that was the attitude towards it by the school. Mm. We afterwards, it would never be the last class, so afterwards you'd have to change back into your uniform yeah. and resume class without a shower. Without a shower, and that was the way. And it was just seen as like go off there and run around for, and, and that was it. Mm. Like we, and sure, we look, we had Michal Martin in here a, yeah. a couple of years ago with Joe, and you know the, the, the like PE participation and the amount of PE that we have in this country for a sport obsessed nation. Is bizarre. Well, I I think that it needs to. I, they haven't followed through on the stuff that he said he would do. By the way, and we're we're absolutely going to go back to that um, over the the coming weeks and months. Uh, I, it'd be interesting to hear people's experience of that. Yeah. But I actually think that um, at the heart of it is it kind of a, a weird, like it's only volunteers who are the true spirit of coaches and. Or we must be scared of professional coaches and coaching. I think that's part of our culture, and uh, I, you know, I think it goes back a little bit to in history to the uh, to the ban and all that kind of stuff. And I just would be interested in teasing that conversation out with somebody who knows a lot more about it than me. But that's my that's my working theory, and somebody can uh, shoot it down, no problems, and inform me that I'm completely talking nonsense about it. But I do feel like if we were to inject higher quality coaching into all of our sports earlier on, that the outcomes would be much better. I think you, you can see uh, what the impact of good coaching is on, on individuals at any stage in their lives. Like We're still seeing players get much better and better uh, in the full-time environment of the Ireland rugby team, that players who look good at their provinces actually end up being much better international players, which traditionally doesn't happen. Yeah, You don't traditionally get better when you go into uh, an environment where the competition is higher. Um, a lot of people do respond to that, um, but 
like for for player skill sets to be developed by the senior international team as opposed to just at their provinces is, is unusual. But it speaks to the quality of coaching, um, and I, I think that uh, that all kind of feeds into the whole thing. So, uh, to answer your point, I don't think we would be any better if we had no other sports. Really, I think that there would just be more competition without without proper organisation, without a proper long term vision for what we were doing with these players, and we actually benefit from having. GA background in rugby and uh, GA background in soccer in some aspects and we benefit from having soccer and rugby in our GA players like that's clearly evident from some players finishing ability in uh, in Gaelic football we're going to talk Gaelic football in a few minutes with Tommy so I just want to tell you about what's coming up between now and 10 o'clock. Uh, Tommy Rudin is going to join us at 8 o'clock for a look back on the weekend's Gaelic football and look forward to the league finals. Keith Wood's going to talk to us at 8.25 about the State of the Union at the moment. We've got sports news at 8.45 with Cahill Milani. After that, we have uh, Derek McNamara in studio looking back on the Six Nations. Sarah Dunham's going to talk to us about the uh, league finals and where we stand and what we've learned so far from the league heading into the championship, which is nearly upon us uh, it's nearly April and uh, football show some look back is that Vinny and um, Gav Cooney yeah. at half nine yeah okay so I didn't necessarily agree with everything the lads were saying by the way but um, uh, it pays you money it takes a choice from half nine well sorry yeah, on Vinny it's really, I'm not going to uh, ruin the segment for anyone who's about to listen to it but it was interesting his opinion on, ja- on Jason Knight and how he was the odd one out on the team the other day and right. how he didn't quite suit that left side which is why the attacking threat on that side wasn't as uh, prevalent as it was on the other. It was just interesting because otherwise Ireland played so well. Sorry, the way we got to that conversation about education and all that and PE and school and sport of young people, for me, actually makes it all the more impressive what Stephen Kenny is doing with this Irish side mm. because it is, it's the best footballing side that we have literally in the country. Like, there are no other options because League of Ireland, the standard goes way down and that's the best we have from what he's done with the players available to him. But there's still so much further to go. Uh, like I was looking here in the comments, Noel Cattle, I coach under 11 and fundamental movement and speed skills always part of my session. Speed is a skill and can be improved. I agree with that. I think that like we should be we should be obsessed with making all of our sports faster and teaching people how to run and teaching people how to sprint over short distances because it would improve literally everything. All of our sports would get better by having people be faster and by having some athletics training in schools for everybody would be my first injection of that it's funny I, I did a lot of cross country like I was a reasonably good 800 metre runner when I was younger mm-hmm. and like but at a sprinting level even in school we, you're just taken out onto the track and you're told run run that distance you're never actually taught how you can make yourself faster like I was never sat down and said you're pretty. You're a pretty fast runner, but you could be faster if you did this and that. I, n- I was never told Funny. any of those things. I was, it was just like go out, go out and run. Oh, you're pretty quick. Go out and run. Well, like I could have been so much better, but so many people could have been so much better. Yeah, well, I, I think like uh, this goes back to my bit about um, we we haven't invested in we, the, the two things, right? We, we've always been absolutely uh, fascinated slash obsessed with uh, stadiums and facilities and. Um, I remember 20 years ago, the ESRI did a report about actually the facilities in Ireland aren't that bad. It's the, the there's a dearth of coaching. We spend money on facilities because everybody has a row. If if uh, Rovers get some funding from the government, then the local GEA club has to get uh, funding, and they they build separate facilities, which doesn't really make that much sense. Instead of putting it all into one state of the art gleaming facility, but instead of just investing all the money in facilities, we end up a- ignoring the coaching aspect of it, and so. Was it were they volunteers who were actually probably not qualified to tell you exactly how to get mm. better? And yeah. things are definitely improving, and largely off the back of individuals who are curious and who are now because of the internet able to find out exactly how do I make my kids run faster when I'm training them over 
100 metres, 200 metres, 800 metres and the quality of coaching has, has vastly improved but it's not because it has been a massive government investment in it. Oh. Well, it you, yeah. So you're right. I, like, I remember 20 years ago how you took out the Tiger, the Bertie Bowl and how much you put into that and that, that goes to show because we wanted to showcase to the world what we could do which just kind of goes back to the whole inferiority complex of the Irish mentality that we have to show that we're actually doing really well and everything's good. Yeah. But like I just can't stop thinking about the way we were taught football growing up and like reading Noel's comment there it's encouraging to see that that's what it's like now I remember our coaches when we were really young being obsessed with results really obsessed and I do find now over enjoyment yeah looking at it as an adult that it was just to brag to fellow adults that the team I'm coaching is doing really well and like player development was not a thing like if you weren't playing well you were out of the team obviously no explanation and like you said with your running it, there wasn't any like look if you could just fine tune this if you could do that a bit more I've noticed that when you cut it in your right you're actually closing the space in yourself why don't you go out on the left it was none of that it was like four four two. this is the team if you're not playing well you're getting hauled off and there's no development I it's natural talent or else you don't have it I almost feel like it's geographical like certain areas have a certain sport like there's people in the comments talking about playing uh, hockey with plastic sticks when they, were, when they were younger we all probably did that in the indoor halls but like there are, cert- there are certain schools many of which are in South Dublin that are hockey schools and a lot of the, the girls in that really successful Irish women's hockey team probably came from a certain number of schools whereas in Monaghan it was Gaelic football so if you played Gaelic football those skills were honed but if you, if you were you know, a runner or a soccer player maybe to a lesser extent in Monaghan it, was, it wasn't focused on but different counties have different priorities I guess when it comes to sports but where the skills were to, to Colin's point were the skills honed or were you just trying to win the Gaelic, Gaelic football skills were honed okay, that's sure, but were you not just trying to win the local under 10 under 12 under 14 competition and yeah so, it was. That's, that's not the honing of the skills really like if you the, Arthur Arthur's book about Limerick Hurling has a brilliant thing about the academy where there's a meeting of all the underage teams and I think it might be the senior manager and uh a question is asked basically the spirit of the question is like uh, who, whose job is it to win here and everybody puts up their hands and whoever's given the seminar is like that's not right mm. that's not correct your jobs are to produce players for this team and that's it we don't want you to win we want you to produce players and this is kind of a trans- transformational moment where they're like and so then the, the production line starts to get better as opposed to we're cutting your, we're cutting your throat to win this under 10, under 12, under 14 championship. And so I would argue that actually while there was a focus on the sports, maybe maybe they're the greatest coaches of all time, Shane, and I'm, I'm doing a disservice to the people, but what you're talking about is hothousing a, sing, a single individual sport as opposed to the actual nuances of, yeah. to Colin's point about the coaching. I, I think that's the, the fundamentals and it, it, goes, it, it feeds down into every sport. The, the counties or the clubs that are doing this properly end up having the best talent pipelines in Gaelic football and hurling and uh, in, in soccer. It's going to be very interesting to see how that evolution happens. There was a massive reorganisation. The, um, the, uh, putting the, the clubs, the League of Ireland clubs and tying them to academies is beginning to bear fruit. You can actually see that. And I, I think, to your point, Colin, about um, everybody's trying to win, it's because there's leagues. There's like a, there's leagues very early on. And so there's a league table which tells everybody at the end. And again, most of those leagues are just about having crack. But there are some players who could actually end up playing for a representative side or an academy, a League of Ireland team. And um, hopefully when they get there, they're not actually desperately trying to win every game. They're desperately trying to make the players better.
I don't remember the games being fun growing up. The fun I had playing football was with my friends in the local park <laughs> when we were just able to play and replicate what we were watching on TV or try to and, and like pretend to be the players you're watching on TV. My recollection of, of playing organised football when I was younger was you trained maybe once, twice a week. You did a few fitness drills, so a lot of running <laughs> with no ball at your feet. No enjoyment there. And then you'd play a game at the, at the last 15 or 20 minutes of the training session, which would be an hour, and it would be two-touch. And two-touch was the big thing. Well, the coach never said to you, go out, just go out and enjoy yourself. N- n- never. It was like... But I understand that too, because like, you want to develop the player, but the problem was there was no development of the individual players, and it was like trying to get this cohesive unit out there to play. And it was two-touch two was the biggest like, revolutionary thing that we did as coaching. And then last, last five minutes, all in, lads. It's, and sorry, everybody starts getting excited. It, it is obviously like old. Your, your stories are, are old. Things have changed. I'm wondering, <laughs> I'm, but I'm wondering, yeah, exactly. Have I'm wondering, have they? Things have I'm changed. I'm wondering, have they? Well, they have, the, they have the Daily Mile in schools. I know we spoke to Frank Greeley about this as well. That's, and that's an enjoyment-based thing. Like how many people even anecdotally do you know that do the park runs? Like park runs have sprung up exponentially. Like I know so many people my age and older and younger you did the park run. I think to your point, Colin, things have changed vastly in that uh, most uh, most sports now use small-sided games and so therefore touching the ball is more more uh, regular. I think you'll also find, if you were to go, that the number of balls that uh, teams have has transformed from the time when you were a kid. I suspect there might have been one or two balls in training. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like it was. It was precious. Like yeah. Now, now there are big bags of uh, cheap hand-stitched balls coming from um, abroad that uh, that most clubs have. And so the other thing is that again, the enjoyment thing is definitely in in all of the sports that my kids do. Everybody's like, we want you to enjoy yourselves as opposed to uh, see. It's come a long way. Throats. It has. Yeah. Uh, No rugby. So rugby has touch rugby and tag rugby for kids who are maybe not physical enough or don't enjoy proper rugby. But like I don't know if, if soccer or GA have toned down slash watered down versions of the sports to make them enjoyable for for kids who are maybe not athletic or or not as into the sport. So I think that's something we could maybe we could maybe look at making GA and making soccer more enjoyable for kids that that maybe haven't the same athleticism as other kids in schools. Yeah. Well, there's other examples. Damien Hanley there in the comments, teaching in Australia for 15 years. Students learn about sports psychology, do video analysis of their mechanics in sports movements and provide improvement plans, all as part of assessment items. I mean, that sounds a world away of what we're doing in Ireland. But it, like, it should also be stated here, and Kathleen McNamee's thrown into our um, chat here, the reaction to sport in general in most girls' schools, told to concentrate on studies because, quote, that's more important. And I've definitely heard that as well. Concentrating studies. Yeah, like, and like, my wife would say the same. Like, we had a big conversation about sport and how her nieces are very active now and they play Gaelic football in Sligo. Mm. And they're always playing matches, like, all the time. Just with them at the weekend, they have three matches each this week. Her own experience, again, as Jerry's saying, this is quite old, so this, you know, we're going back 20 years, is um, I'll let the boys play. Yeah. Don't play sport because you know it's not the best look and instead focus on school because that's really where you're going to end up so whatever about my complaints about like I wasn't you know, my, my skills or lack thereof weren't fine tuned and therefore we were never going to make it at least we were able to play like and again thankfully that's come on a lot the issue is is, is what you said earlier PE was an hour a week 
Like, it's ridiculous. Uh, Ireland have featured what at the bottom of so many schools, or certainly in Europe, in terms of hours per week done spent <laughs> playing PE or, or actively getting kids out in school. So that's that's the issue. We're a weird country. We are a weird country. We're, we're weird. We are a weird country. We have single sex schools, and that is absolute nonsense. Yeah. It's completely anachronistic. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. And you can see in uh, mixed schools where if the girls aren't getting sing- equal access to sport, it, it becomes an issue, and then the girls stand up and they fix it because that's that's how this. That's how this happens. Anyway, uh, 087-9180-180 is the WhatsApp number. If you want to get in touch, you can leave a comment on YouTube, youtube.com forward slash off the wall. And as I said earlier, you need to be subscribed to our YouTube channel in order to leave a comment. Uh, who is the team that we're going to pick to play against Greece? What changes are you making? Have you both picked sides? Do you want to go first, Colin? Yeah, well... I'm still deciding. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would notice that Philip Quinn was... Um, admiring the uh, impact already of John O'Shea on the defensive unit against France. Well, that was quick. Mm. Wasn't it? Two sessions. This guy must be the greatest coach of all time. <laughs> Couldn't be anything to do with Stephen Kenny, could it? Mm. Nothing. So it's very hard to change the back five. And hang on, I thought, I thought that we were shy defending after the Lafayette game. Turned out the Lafayette game didn't matter that much because it was only friendly, right? Mm. Can we all agree on that now? Yeah. That like everybody, oh, I think, everybody losing their minds over the, the Lafayette game is like, well... Maybe they're less up for a friendly against Latvia than they are for a qualifying match where there are points on offer because they're professional athletes and they're used to pre-season friendly, competitive match. These yeah. are not the same. You can't fake it. Like You can't fake motivation or enthusiasm for a match. Um, and having said that, the performance against Latvia wasn't terrible considering how many players probably wouldn't ordinarily be in. Probably either of the teams we're about to pick. Like, if, do you want to go first? What's, yeah. your, t- what's your team for Greece? Uh, Malumbi for sure, midfield. So sorry, same back five, same goalkeeper. We're assuming fitness and everybody's yes, available. Yes, everyone's available, fit, ready to go, raring. Which obviously, by the way, won't be the case. Oh, of course. So th- this is a, an ideal world. Uh, Malumbi plays midfield. Jo- yeah, Cullen. We'll play Cullen. Smallbone in for me. Mm-hmm. And then up front, uh, Ogbeni was fantastic. I would. I don't know whether I'd start Ferguson. I probably would. Ah, yeah, just would. about start Ferguson because I'm not. I even love Ferguson's amazing. Give, but give, prospect we've had a long time. But what's I, your What's your shape though? What's my shape? Yeah, it's uh, five three two. Okay. Yeah. So sorry. Basically, what I'm trying to say to you is, I'd have Jason Knight out and Will Smallbone in. And I was very, very, very tempted to play Mikey Johnston, but Benny is such an unbelievable threat up front. Yeah. And Ferguson's the hottest prospect we've had since. My, team, and my, my team would be essentially the team that started the other night, except Mikey Johnston in for for, for night. I, I think like, and it's, it's only partly because he plays in hot weather in Portugal. Mikey Johnston, he's ready for Greece, but I just think he's brilliant. Can yeah. I can I just add a, a note of caution to this? Uh, does everybody know how Greece did in their in their nations? League unbeaten at home. Mm. Do, do you know? Do you know? They won five out of six games. They they were against this Kosovo, Northern Ireland, and yeah. Cyprus. I don't think we would have won five out of six games against Kosovo, Northern Ireland, and Cyprus at the moment. And really? They're all no, absolutely. When was the last time we won five out of six games? Kosovo, Northern Ireland, Cyprus isn't a terrible group. I mean, Arguably. how did we do against Armenia? Yeah, yeah. Uh, beat them late. Would we? Would we? Would we beat? Uh, Northern Ireland twice if we played them oh, the heat is not the biggest issue here it's Greece themselves like it's, it's going to be a really tough game now one one thing that just got me a little bit hopeful was that maybe Greece are already guaranteed a playoff for the Euros uh, and I, you were uh, detailing the uh, pathway to us yesterday and a nice 400 word piece that you wanted me to read out on the show column just to open the kimono a little bit will someone immediately find out <coughs> how to do this yeah okay um, yeah 
Uh, ooh, so fine. Were you, anyway, were you in the office yet the other day when Phil uh, asked us who? Do you know who the Greece manager is? Do I know, wasn't. Do you know who the Greece manager is? Is it going to be somebody? Is it? Is it? Uh, this is remarkable. Dabazas. Keep talking there, Shane. Will I tell you who the Greece manager is? Oh, I know who it is. It's quite remarkable. Do you know who it is? Former Chelsea midfielder, also played for Spurs. <laughs> Was manager of Sunderland in the Premier League. Gus Poyet, Gus Poyet, Greece man. It had an extra layer. Of we should get him on. Yeah, um. <laughs> yeah we should. Um, I noticed that Keith Tracy like made the point about Mikey Johnston yesterday. The reason that he would be reluctant to start him against Greece is the heat and will want to retain the ball, whereas Johnston's going to take on his man mm. and chance he's going to lose the ball without possession. It's going to be a very very long day. He's in Portugal for in Braga and Vittorio de Gamarra so he's, he's used ready to the heat so he'll keep the ball so he's used yeah. to the heat I, I did find it strange that we just didn't give him an, an awful lot of the ball against France because when he yeah. came on the pitch he did that lovely turn inside and took three French players out of the, the out of the play and then passed out right yeah. I don't think he got the ball after that now is there a world in which your, your good technical skillful players can be asked don't try and have the killer ball every time you just you just buzz around here and like you know you, you be the um be like uh, one of the Dublin footballers back and forth back and forth back and forth and then like after 70 minutes we start look I actually think a draw away to Greece is a perfectly oh, yeah. legitimate result and this whole oh we've got to win these two games otherwise it's a failure it's like, that's not true mm. that's not true this is a long qualifying campaign uh, let's wait and see we, we have France and Holland back to back in yeah. September right and oh, that's, that's good. ultimately going to end up being a really important window where if, if it was possible for us to get a point in France which might not be ridiculous and then uh, we've got the Dutch at home and who knows what state they're in and they're also going to be guaranteed a playoff so do we have those two games the European in four days yeah those two games the Ryder Cup and the Rugby World Cup all around that time yeah, yeah. Now the, the Rugby World Cup I think uh, doesn't really get good until like the end of the group stages and then that's into, into October so uh, right OTBAM with Gillette Labs get the ultimate shaver your money back Neon Night Edition is available now um, during the ad break you're going to hear a clip from the latest episode of the Football Pod where Paddy James and Tommy talk about Stephen Cluxton's dramatic return and we're going to talk about this off the back of it by the way uh, the Football Pod is in partnership with AIB proud sponsors of the Football Hurling and Camogie All-Ireland Club Championships check out the hashtag the toughest for more we're back after the ads with Tommy Rooney himself OTBAM the Sports Breakfast Show from Off the Ball. OTB Rugby. You still have to get it done at the time that it really counts, which we have not managed to do. It's the first time that you could genuinely say that there's a chance, with lots going right for us, that we could be World Cup champions. But Subscribe to the Rugby Stream on the OTB Sports app now. Can I, can I ask you why? Like why, why would he come back? Why would they want him back? Why would you want him back? Yeah. He's 41. It's two and a half years after he's retired. He's still one of the best players that's ever played GAA. You don't think Stephen Cluxton, okay, even if he's not at his absolute peak of 10 years ago, you do you not think he would add something positive to that dress room? I don't doubt that. Well, I just, I guess I'm wondering what's driving that answer the question. Like, you try and put a negative spin on this. I don't see how you can put a negative spin on this. There is there is a negative spin to be put. Well, right here we go, Jimmy. What? It's circle of wagons live from Killarney. Smells of desperation. First of all, well, like, it's one of your best players. Do you not Do think? Them back? No. Yeah. When they're not going great, they already have two goalies, two good goalies. In fairness to them, yeah, they have. Comerford injured, fair enough, but he'll be back. They're bringing back a forty-one-year-old. 
you're thinking, where are the leaders in that dressing room to take that on in the last two and a half years rather than have to revert back? Like, I know they brought back many, they brought back McCaffrey, brilliant additions and everything. But now to go back to Cluxton as well, it's like you're kind of almost flogging a dead horse rather than kind of moving on with everything. You know, they could have they could have gone and and got new leaders to take that group forward. But to go back, I think it does smell a bit of desperation, in my opinion. Now, not to say that he's not going to be. He could walk straight into goals and play. But the fact that they've had to go back for him isn't isn't a great sign. Jimmy, I agree with you. If you're sit down with Desi Farrell and say the ideal thing is as that the Jim Gavin team kind of came to the end, that yeah, the, of course, move on and we've loads, we've thirty young players coming up that they can carry on and, and win all Ireland. That's the ideal scenario. But the reality is that probably hasn't happened. So if you're Jimmy, you put yourself in Desi Farrell's shoes and Stephen McCluxton makes himself available for selection again. I, I, I would be amazed if any manager in the country turned around and says, no, thanks. Tommy Rooney, good morning to you. Morning, Jerry. Morning, Shane. How are things? What do you really think about Stephen Cluxton coming back? Oh, I'm, I'm here in the fence. I have a, I have a thorn here on my, on my quad. Get off it, come on. Sitting. I'm on, I'm on a fence, not a perch, Shane. It's a fence. Um, look, there's two sides to it, in my opinion. I happen to be I was definitely one of the first people who wasn't at the game who got who got this information sent to them. Jim McEnany, a former loud footballer, tagged me in a tweet. I was in the middle of my writing my Sligo Leitrim halftime report and I just went WTF <laughs> Clucks in his back in the press box and everyone around me was like, What? What are you talking about? Um and it was split. Press box was split. Heard Joe on with Paddy Andrews. His Chris Kamara moment, the moment that might make him as a pundit. And uh, I think Paddy's instant reaction was that Joe was joking. And then he realized that he was talking to Joe and that Joe wouldn't make light of such matters, you know. So um, I thought it was interesting listening to James and Paddy. The comments are definitely split. Quite a polarizing topic, you could say. But I, I don't know. There's two sides to it. He's obviously one of the most... Actually, I'm going to say he's one of the most inspiring leaders, but I have no idea what his leadership is like because you know so little about him. But, well, like, we've, we've, we've parked that for a second. We've, we've a 41-year-old come back after two and a half years, to me, I don't know. Go on, say it. Smacks of desperation, Tommy. Go on. Well, no, what, I didn't say that. No, that's, that's, I, what, that's I, what James was saying. Yeah, I, I, I fail to see a negative of this. Like You, you have someone like Stephen Cluxton, as, as uh, Paddy said there, who makes himself available to Desi. And what's, what's Desi Farrell going to say? Like that's, that's, that's not how it works. That's not like he, he's not like here. Doesn't want to come back. They have to reach out to him and they say. They both want it. Well, they have to reach out to him and say we have a crisis here. Can you help us out? And he's like, yeah, no problems. Yeah. And so, uh, a couple of things. Um, that that footage from the Dublin dressing room that was that was from last weekend, was it? That is is on like a quarter of a million views. Have, have you seen this? It's like the, the la- running out of the dressing room. No, no. There's um, the lads are singing in the dressing room. And uh, Cluxon's in the background, just going about his business, ignoring the music. Have you seen that? You haven't seen this video? It's um, that one. There's a Cormac Costello well, one, no, and uh, it's Costello and Fenton, and there's some kind of uh, loud music being played, and they're 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 happy in the aftermath of victory. And uh, Cluxon is managing to somehow ignore this going on in the background. It's just like a very interesting team dynamic. Um, you know, okay. well, a- what's happened to me while you're on air there? I'm gonna try and see if it's from the recent or not. 
My yeah. point, my point is, is largely Shane's point as well that there's a goalkeeping crisis. Desi Farrell, Dubs TV released their post match um, goalkeeping crisis. David O'Hanlon's been exceptional. Mm. Sorry, hang on a second. Let me finish. Just let me finish, right? Dubs TV released their footage of the interview with Desi Farrell in the aftermath of the game at the weekend, and he said uh, Evan Comerford is working his way back. He hasn't played any football this year, and he's working his way back. And we expect him to be back later in the championship. So who's the backup? If there's a black card, a red card, or an injury, so Evan Comerford, who they, I think is their actual starting goalkeeper, right? Um, they have an exceptional goalkeeper who's played really well, but you can't have one goalkeeper going into the championship. That's like, that is rule 101. Mm. And, and we see goalkeepers getting black carded or sent off much more than we used to. Everybody has a backup goalkeeper. So there's an absolute crisis. Where like I think they're, they're Michael Field, who's played in All-Ireland Club Finals and, and potentially hasn't hit the standards that Dave Rohanlon and Evan Cumber hit when he stepped in, but he is, he, like, he's essentially their backup goalkeeper. Like. But now Cluxon's their backup goalkeeper. Do you feel better as a manager? Absolutely. And I, again, I, I'm only trying to give both sides of the coin here. Like, there is a couple of questions, right? And the fact that it was kept a secret and Desi saying he was back training for a couple of weeks... That's not possible. It's remarkable in this There's no way age. he was back. There's no way. No, I'm sorry. I, initially, I was like, okay, that's amazing. Fair play to him. There's no way he was back for a couple of weeks. That, that stuff doesn't stay a secret for a couple of weeks. You might get a week of keeping that in-house. So this came together very, very quickly, I'd say. There's no way he, he was back a couple of weeks. And I am speculating there. But I just don't see how that's possible to keep that under wraps. They're not training inside. Um, it's funny how he played against a Mead development team in a, a challenge match and it's on the back page of the Indo this morning so you know yeah, certainly that was in Galleons, wasn't it? He's, he's pretty high profile and so if he, if he was okay. rocking up to, uh, to training people wouldn't notice I, either way I, I, I like there's, this is a, an, uh, this is not somebody who's going to play significant championship minutes unless there is an injury to the first choice goalkeeper he's not coming in to be first choice there's no way he's coming in to be first choice they're not parachuting him back into the team Philly McMahon on the Indo podcast was saying to start him. Start him this weekend. But sure, of course he's going like, to say that they're like he's he's a he has soldiered with him forever. All the former players they, all think that their 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 teammates are still as good as they were at the absolute peak. If Bernard Brogan was saying, to come back and do a few training sessions, they'd be like, oh, stick him in the team. But actually, you the, have to, the moment has passed. No, you have to put him in the team. You absolutely the, do not put I'm him sorry, in the team. It, he is it, not getting in the team. If he, if he is as good a goalkeeper as he was two years ago when he left, two years ago when he left. You have to start Stephen Cluxton, don't you? I agree with you, Tommy. David O'Hanlon has been brilliant, and his kickout stats have been fantastic. Mm. He's he's got better actually each game. But Stephen Cluxton is Stephen Cluxton. You put him in the team, like he's not he's not there as a leadership. Like, oh yeah, he's going to sit in the bench and inspire all the younger players around him. Screw that! You inspire players by being the starting goalkeeper, playing the big matches for Dublin. If I'm Desi Farrell, I'm, I'm starting him in the Division Two League Final next weekend. No. Like I, I know he won't. I know he won't. But it's not the right thing to do on any level because it, it completely right. undermines. It's totally unfair on David O'Hanlon. I get that. But, but, it, but it's not. It's not just sport unfair. Is unfair. Life is unfair. But it's not. It's the wrong thing to do. Why like, it's the wrong thing to do? When was the last time he played football at this level? It's such. It's such a long period ago. A couple of years there's, ago. And so there's no way he's still the same player. And if he is the same player, that that can emerge over the next five, six, seven weeks. And at that point, you've got a competition. He's not a mobile. He's not a Rory Began or an Ethan Rafferty. He's not. He's well, a he does play outfield for He does. Club. He does exactly. So he's a re- he has relative level of fitness, but he's not a goalkeeper. Than, you know, I'm sure his oh, reflexes and skills are still honed. He maybe isn't as good as he was two years ago, but he can't be far off. I, well, he could be far off. We don't know. And here's the other thing. 
the, the team is, is rounding into something. So all you're doing here is giving yourself an insurance policy. If he plays significant minutes, I will be shocked. Like, legitimately shocked. So would I. That if he starts and, and there's, okay. no, and there's no other injuries. I think... Can, I, can, can we just... Now, before we go move on from this, like, there are unanswered questions about why Stephen Cluxon stepped away two and a half years ago. Sure, it's part of his personality, but that leaves it open to discussion. Why did he leave? Was there a problem? What were the issues? And now once he's back, why haven't Dublin been able to make up the leadership gap that was there before? They still have eight or nine generational talents. I did a piece preview in the Mead and Dublin game a couple of weeks ago. Like To say Dublin are in transition is laughable. Of the 2019 Leinster final, where, Mead, where Dublin bet Mead by 19 points to four, Jim Gavin's last Leinster final, 12 players, 10 starters, Manning and McCaffrey played that day. Make that 13 now. So Stephen Cluxon is back. Who's saying they're in transition? They're not in transition. They, they, like, but who's they saying it? Have. Loads of people are saying it. They were I saying don't. it when Dublin lost four games last year. They were saying it when the Dubs were stuttering I, over Kildare and Clare this year. I don't, I, I don't, I haven't heard anybody I, I would like consider very credible saying that they're a team in transition. They're a team coming off their peak. They're a team who are absolutely past their peak. They're no longer peak Dublin. That's different from being in transition. And they're looking for something. I don't think Cluxon's going to play significant minutes. I don't think this is that big a deal, to be honest. Well, I, the leadership gap, right? They have, it turns out, two brilliant goalkeepers. Uh, Hanlon and Comerford. Comerford's injured. The under-21 keeper, who, or the under-20 keeper, who apparently they rate quite highly, is also, it looks like, injured. If you have an opportunity to bring somebody back, I, I would actually, I would say, Tommy, bringing him back answers the questions for what happened two and a half years ago. Whatever, whatever disagreement that was speculated at the time, Farrell and Cluxton uh, have obviously managed to mend bridges. Is that not the yeah. end? Is that not the end of that? Or Cluxton said, "I'm coming back," and Desi said, "Okay." I mean, I don't know about that, but we don't know. But That's like, the thing. look at I'm putting it this way: it's either a master stroke, or it's all going to blow up, you, and we won't you, know for a couple of months. In, in I'm the, leaning towards it being a master stroke. I'm just trying to put the other side of the okay, okay. There. But in in that scenario where he says he's coming back, if you don't want him back, what do you say? Oh, thanks very much, but no thanks. Right. It's, just, it's a really I'm not simple. Sure that's how, how, sorry, how does how, I don't, like? I, I'm not sure that's, that's the style. Like, so how does it blow up? How, like, what, what? How can this go wrong? Is what I'm wondering. Do you know how can bringing Stephen Cluxton back in well backfire? If he walks, would if worry, he walks out again worry. in three or four weeks, do you know? Yeah, there, there's a we we just don't know. There's a couple of signs. Like, I would have thought that there's been times where the Dublin team have uh, dropped their armor. Twenty twenty one semi final against Mayo. Conor Callaghan is visibly frustrated with his teammates on the field that day, visibly, visibly frustrated with the style of play. Obviously, so little gets out from the camp, so we're speculating. Kieran Kilkenny, <laughs> that, that hand pass to Cormac Goslow at the back post, why is that pass not being given? If you know, there's, there's times where they are the greatest team with the most remarkable mentality, but that has now eroded over the last couple of years, and you're looking at them at times thinking, that wouldn't happen in a bad club team. No, you sure you know yourself, Tommy. At GA club level, any club level, that that move, you know, where you pass the ball across when you're one on one with the keeper for someone to tap it in, is is so well practiced. Like that is one of the yeah. most obvious moves in Gaelic football. The goalkeeper can't stop it. And they had it again at the weekend against Loud. They butchered a load of goal chances when it should have stepped the ball to the to the to the post. Jim Gavin managed 
a group of egos incredibly well. And there were so many, every, like so many egos in every intercounty squad. He managed them incredibly well. And it's just gotten a little loose. And to me, I don't know, but this could mark the sign of something a little more chaotic coming back. Okay, okay. That, I mean, if, if, if it is chaos, I, I, uh, I'm looking forward to the storylines and the, the play manifesting that. Connor says that's semantics. Let me yeah, finish this. Gavin did bring back Gavin did bring back Connolly as well. So yeah, exactly. And and anybody he needed to to do whatever he he needed to because they they decided that they were going to do whatever it took to win. Connor says that's semantics. Jerry, moving on from Peak Dublin is transitionary. Whether it transitions to Peak Dublin or crap Dublin, can't say they're not in transition. That's not true, Connor. Like the point about a team in transition is a quarter of the team or half the team are replaced by players who we don't know yet if they're going to be at the same level. To Tommy's point, the vast majority of their best players. Uh, from that great period will still be playing in the key moments this season one last point on this the key moments this season are not going to happen for Dublin until the group stages and even then they're more than likely going to be in a really easy group and so there'll be one and a half matches where there will be key moments and their key moments are actually still going to not come until an All-Ireland quarter-final by which stage we'll know whether or not Cluxton is going to play significant moments right? Yeah, and Comfort could be back by that stage. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Um, it's an interesting one, and it's uh, given us something to talk about, so yeah. we'll leave it at that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but James is obviously stirring. He's like, I can see a little something to drive a wedge in I, here, I, the, the dubs. Another little weakness yeah, in there. It was interesting that the word the, the word directly out of Clarny was what James said, but I also do think that a lot of people feel like that. I, 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 they do. They do. I just, I don't... Uh, I don't see it. Um, Tommy, That's okay. Yeah, no, I, I, I know. I'm, I'm, I'm it's a therapy enough. session for us. We, we can have opposite, we can have polar opposite views on a topic like this. Lads. Absolutely. Um, but I'm on the fence, just for the record. <laughs> I, all right. Okay. You're you're, uh, you're good at that. <laughs> uh, Are we going to move on to the league final? Yeah, we, we can do. Yeah, I nearly forget. Sorry, Cluxton. Cluxton's taking all the publicity, but like. Galway Mayo yeah. four o'clock Port Joyce I'm going to be there at four o'clock I love the way Mayo tried to get it switched and he's like nope I've seen, I've, I've seen Rory Larmer makes the point if David Clifford goes one on one in an all Ireland final against Dublin he'd rather not face Cluxton um, I think Clifford back himself lads yeah I think uh, it, it doesn't really matter who he's gone up against keep it low is Cluxton really going to be able to get that low at 41 years of age I, I wonder if he's been doing his own testing and he's realised that his figures probably still for the Stephen same. Cluxton, he's one of the most remarkable characters we've ever seen in the game. Like he's definitely been doing his own training regime, waiting to come back. I do like wonder. Stephen O'Neill, like we you mentioned on the pod, like Stephen O'Neill retired with like his body in bits in January of '08, and he gets on a mountain bike and somehow builds his knee up to a stage where Mickey Hart calls him back in because of club form three weeks before the All Ireland final, and like that was deemed to be absolutely insane at the time. Three weeks before an All-Ireland final. Kerry even brought back Galvin at the same time, I think. And Stephen O'Neill was the first sub in that day. That's Tyrone won and win. He comes on after 20 minutes. So, this has happened before out the field too. Yeah. Okay. Um, what about Galway? And uh, so under the radar, they're yeah. now beep, beep, beeping very loudly. Everybody's like, hang on a second, this team. Um, yeah. I think, I think this is going to be a really, really good game. And counter to what some people are saying I actually think both teams are really going to go for this and it's going to be a cracker I think both teams need to win a little bit of national silverware as much as they can Breheny has a stat in the Indo today that Mayo's record in their last 20 
All-Ireland and League Finals is two wins, two draws, 16 losses. Galway's isn't much better. They've won three out of 15 finals. So these are two teams that, you know, can win when it comes to Connacht. But when it comes to their national stage, they need to deliver. So I don't think either Joyce or Max Day are going to take a backward step. It's also very interesting to really John Fogarty's piece in The Examiner and Kieran McKeever speaking at the, the Ulster launch, Armagh coach, that there is no point really in winning the Ulster Championship anymore. Similar to what we've been saying, Jeff, for a couple of weeks, that there's actually more of a reward to lose in the provincial and get into the All-Ireland series, have those couple of weeks of a break. You know, as Brady's quote, what was it? I wouldn't take it on the ninth. But if I woke up in the tent, I'd be happy enough. Yeah, yeah, I do. So I, I think the I think this league final is marginally more important than getting to a Connacht final. Um, we were talking a bit about uh, um, Kelly and how you play up against Clifford. Um, we were talking to Ken Johnson about this, and he was making the point that's not gonna that's not gonna be how teams play against Clifford. If you're gonna be man marking Clifford, your job is to man mark Clifford and not go running forward. And he pointed to the Dublin Kerry game last year and how Dublin did a little bit of that. And what happens is the ball gets turned over and in transition it goes back into Clifford and Clifford kicks a point and you're like, oh, that's not great. So um, maybe teams, maybe we haven't learned too much yet about how teams are going to try and lock down Clifford when it comes to, again, the All-Ireland quarterfinal, semi-finals and finals. Yeah, I'd, I'd say David Clifford has mastered the art of knowing when to peak and I think he'll be good to go. Like last year, David Clifford lads must have had three different injuries across the space of the six months. We didn't see David Clifford at full fitness last year we haven't seen him a full fitness so far this year so I'm not sure what the answer is yet to stop in David Clifford I think Keane's right Galway if they want to get the best out of Sean Kelly probably cannot put him on David Clifford he, I'm not saying that he can't do it but Kelly is so important to Galway going forward as he is in defence and he always has been that way since we started the football pod Andy Moore and picked out a young Sean Kelly at cornerback at that stage as the key to Galway's attack so yeah look that's going to be a cracker and um I'm actually really looking forward to seeing it. Like it's it's going to be it's going to be a really good game of football. But 1981, the last time Galway won the national league, like for them, this is this is huge because they at least have the the ease with which they can wait until a Connacht semi final may or an action a little bit sooner. So like everything points for me towards Galway taking this far more seriously than Mayo. I'm not saying Mayo don't want to win a, a national title. Of yeah. course they do. James and Paddy felt the same way in the football pod this week, Shane. I actually disagree. I actually think Mayo need to take it seriously. I think they need to put their foot down on the Galway throat here before they get ahead of themselves. Yeah. Mayo made the mistake in 96 and 97 of losing the Galway before there was a knockout championship in the first game in 1998 and look what happened. Galway won the All-Ireland in 98, won the All-Ireland in 01 and, you know, that momentum was lost for Mayo. So, if McStay has any bit of momentum right now and it was interesting, I, I listened to James Horn a couple of weeks ago say that you can't take the foot off the gas going into a league final. Mm. Uh, did they you not know, do we that last year? last year and that performance last year that, well he was saying that they didn't and they were they were just beaten fair and square on the day but, but they weren't just beaten they were annihilated right and certainly the feeling was that that maybe in the last two league games Mayo could put the feet up a little bit and maybe that's where the momentum and the wheels came off a little bit like Monaghan obviously got the benefit of it last week Mayo made 10 changes 10-11 changes and Monaghan pulled off that great escape mm. I don't think that McStay can do that again. I don't think he can afford to do it. Momentum is such a funny thing in sport. I think he really has to go for Galway. And if you're going to meet them again in a couple of weeks, if you're going to get by Common, so what? You go for it. But there is an element of never give a sucker and even break. Like They, they have played big games uh, against Galway. The, the, why was the game in Croker that time? The Connacht, uh, Connacht final. Yeah, why was that in Croker? Was it a, 
Was there something? It was in, I, I, I think Michael Park was being re- redeveloped. Was, no, I can't remember exactly. There was a couple of different reasons why it was in Croker, but was it to do with COVID? Um, I think they wanted it in Croker. It was to do with COVID. I think awesome. they wanted yeah, it in, in Croker. Um, that was uh, um, when Shane Wallace got injured, um, and that was basically that was the turning point Finner, of the game. Finner, yeah, Finnerty got injured innocuously with a clash. I remember at the time thinking, "Hmm, wonder how innocuous that was." Walsh got body slammed to the ground and injured, and there was definitely a feeling that Galway were coming, but Mayo bullied them. Yeah, and it was and, like a slight on Galway. And and if you could reassert your alpha dog status, it would be no harm doing it twice in the space of six weeks or five weeks, however long it's going to take for them to. It's even less than that, isn't it? If they were to do this, do Ross Common next three, week and then do them again. Three, um, three weeks. That would be a big statement, and certainly that, that might be difficult to calm down the province and uh, and but, yeah, you know. It's a Connacht one, two, three in the league, so um, I think Connacht is where it's at at the moment. Yeah, I do think that Mayo and and Galway are are absolutely flying. That's not to say that they won't get knocked down a peg or two later in the championship, and it's it's very early in the year, obviously. But yeah, it's it's a big one. Are we time for one more now? Yeah, go for it, quick. Okay, um, I'm not sure if you heard the post match from Leitrim Sligo the last day, but Andy, Andy Moran's last yeah. answer. Yeah. yeah, his last answer was. I'm not going to speak for Tony McIntyre here, but Sligo have to go to Crow Park next week, and it actually helps our preparation that we've lost today. Obviously, Leitrim wanted to get promoted, but they lost. They then jump on a plane to London on the Thursday to play championship. It's not fair. After playing in Crow Park, they have to play on the thir- jump on the plane on the Thursday to play championship. It's not fair. It's not fair in the players for prep or for injuries. When I was in college back in the 90s, all the talk and studies was about burnout, and now we're absolutely flogging our young and elite players again with games upon games. Someone has to shout stop. I hope that with the level of injuries now that Tom Parsons and these guys step up and say, we're not letting our players go through that again in 2024. Now, there might be a quick fix to this. Um, I suspect Andy might be talking a bit more that there needs to be more than a couple of weeks break and there needs to be a bit more room there. And we're seeing it with the Sigerson debate as well, that the intercounty calendar is so condensed. But you're seeing already the talk coming through that it is death by a thousand cuts for the provincial championships. And I didn't think it would come. This quickly with this this series, I thought this was giving the provincial championships another lifeline. But Fogarty's column this morning has certainly said that the mood music around the provincials has changed. Oh, and, oh, yeah. Who would have who you know. could have possibly predicted that, Tommy? Yeah, it's like it's like what we were saying a couple of weeks ago, Jer. But you know, that's certainly and Kieran McKeever from Armagh was saying the same thing today. The incentive to win the Ulster Championship no longer exists. Yeah, and you know, looking at those teams at the weekend. Like Leitrim and Sligo are both going to have tough games against London and New York, regardless of how London's league went. Um, you know, I'd be worried when we're hearing little from New York. I know they have a couple of ex Galway players involved. Um, they always have a couple of crackers up their sleeve. Yeah. Like for Leitrim and Sligo, it's going to be a tough one. It's a tough turnaround for Armagh, even with two weeks. Um, and for Mayo, particularly, facing Roscommon. I just think Mayo have to go for it and try and win their matches like and all if right. they get beaten and they get a couple of weeks off in Connacht they will take it alright Tommy good stuff thanks a million thanks lads That's, uh, good luck this morning thanks a million Tommy we're going to give us some thoughts on the weekend's Gaelic football action and previewing next weekend's you can hear more of Tommy's goodness on the football pod make sure you search for the football pod and subscribe to it in its own uh, stream it's 28 minutes past 8 OTBIM with Gillette Labs get the ultimate shave or your money back Neon Night edition available now Delighted to say Keith Wood is with us. Keith, good morning to you. How are you? I'm very good, Jack. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Um, 
big time European knockout rugby is back. The, the club season is, is it can feel long and interminable, particularly in this part of the world where we vaguely know what teams are going to make the playoffs from very early on. And luckily, Connacht have put a bit of a surge on. But this is where it really counts this weekend: proper knockout rugby. Yeah, I mean, look, it, it kind of all counts, but which makes it awkward for everybody. But um, yeah, this is something I think that most of rugby supporters will be looking forward to um, um, sort of post main season games uh, knockout rugby um, huge history new types of history uh, you know uh, Munster going down to play in South Africa which I'm still not entirely comfortable with I have to say but um, but there is there's a there's I think it's a, it's a lovely point for excitement coming on the back of the Grand Slam. You know, there's been a huge hype from a couple of weeks ago and now there's the opportunity for a little bit more hype again. Yeah. We'll, we'll talk about all that stuff and we'll talk about the um, the nuances of the available players and team selection. But um, just generally, you wanted to chat about the, the state of the game at the moment. We've obviously been having these conversations intermittently over the last number of years. What in particular has you thinking about it at the moment? Just... I, look, it's funny. We had just when COVID started, uh, we ended up having a conversation. We're trying to fill a fair bit of airtime because there was no live sport and we mm-hmm. got a, a chance to, to ramble our way through, through everything. And, um, just looking, I, I think partly from some of the issues that have happened across, uh, over in the UK over the last period of time. So with that huge vote, the, um, the potential or the strike from Welsh players, the uh, disappearance of Wasps and Worcester from the Premier um, to uh, to reducing salary caps to a whole change now that seems to be happening with a raft of players from England moving uh, to to France and to um, to Japan. The game just seems to be making that huge change again because the money for the game now sits in France. There is the um, the mooted uh, change to this world competition, this uh, world competition every couple of years. Um, it just seems to be filling more rugby into a place where there seems to be too much rugby already. And I just, I, I feel as if um, the amount of pressure that's been put under clubs and players to actually survive at the present moment of time is pretty tough so uh, I think it's a really really nervy time for the game actually Is it greed? Is it money Keith? Is there just no thought put to the players' welfare? Uh, Yeah, is it greed? Is it money? Do they both have to be the exact same? I don't know that they do I think it is money because um, uh, when you're looking at survival for clubs that makes it very you know very difficult Um. The clubs have to make a profit to survive. That's the nature of it. And people often kind of bypass that idea as if the players are being squeezed too much. But I know that from a lot of the younger players in the UK, they're being offered very small amounts of money. And it's it's looking at the, the difference between the balance of uh, what's worth the risk and what isn't. Um, and I think I've mentioned a couple of times before that... Um, the clubs can't really afford to play the players the amount of money they're being paid and the players can't really afford to play the game without being paid that amount of money. You know, so it's it we're, we're caught in that sort of catch-22 situation where, um, I, look, I think there's too much rugby being squeezed into a season and I think that becomes 
part of the issue. So one of the conversations that they've had in the UK is if they can uh, have get it down to 10 teams, then the, the players, the clubs will get their players for all their matches and there won't be matches on over the international weekends. I think that's a viable alternative. And I do, I do think that that's where the game has to go. But having to have squads of 55 or 60 people isn't financially viable. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I, to go back to some of the points that we would have been making at the time, I, I think that the players' unions are... I, I, I really can't understand how, given the experience profile of the people involved in, in the players' unions, they're not more powerful and they're not better advocates for the players. If the players had a, a limited number of minutes or games that they were allowed to play every season then everything would kind of automatically fall into place. If you're only allowed to play 30 games a season and the international team has you on call for six or eight or ten of those, then you've got a six or eight or ten game window, however you want to spread it across the year, and the rest of the time you can play club rugby. And then all of a sudden, everything literally falls into place because the players have decided that we're going to put our bodies on the line for a certain amount, and that's it. But there's no, there's no sense coming from the players that they're ready to go. I mean, the Welsh players, I think, might be a touch paper for players realising that they do have genuine power. This product doesn't exist without them and they're the ones who are suffering the consequences of long-term injuries. Well, they do and they, they do have the power. Um, the The point is, are they willing to play less matches for less money? And, you know, it's it, like none of this kind of sits down really comfortably, but also the game has so many different shareholders within it. So you have... Um, you, you have the URC on one side, you have the unions on the other side, you have international rugby, you have the uh, EPCR, um, uh, you know, they're all different competitions. You have the you've, uh, World Cups, so they all vie for different pieces of the pie. They own their own rights within those those situations. Trying to get a blend of those to fit into that number makes it incredibly difficult. That's And that's where it comes. And when when you're then looking to try and have bigger markets, which I'm not necessarily in favour of, and I haven't been, um, you then end up with a situation where you have European Cup matches in South Africa. And there may be financial reasons for that to be the case, but with teams having to fly up and fly down there for a period of time, you can't tell me that that fits into player welfare pretty well. And... Um, and we're at the business end of a of a uh, of a long season, um, and the season seems interminably long, you know. And it's going to go then to a summer tour and a training camp, and then a World Cup. And you wonder where does it end at any stage, really, you know? And so I don't think they've got there. I think the idea of the world competition seems to make sense, but I still think everybody is trying to um, have their piece of the pie within that. And I don't know that that necessarily fits because you want to see your best players on the field more often. The game is very, very physical. You do need to have enough strength and depth. But the viability then comes to whether that strength and depth can be 50 or 60 people. And yeah. um, like, how do you manage that for a four and a half million salary cap or five million salary cap in the UK? Well, you end up playing kids who are unprepared for the actual vagaries of the professional sport and then they're endangered like it, it, it's very difficult to manage I, I did want to ask you one thing about um, 
the post Grand Slam conversation because there's just a little bit of of uh, of stuff bubbling up that we would have seen in, in messages and, and um, just anecdotal stuff as well about how the team needs to be more representative of the four provinces and obviously it's chicken and egg if uh, Munster are being 28 nil at home down against uh, Glasgow at the weekend then they can't really make the argument that those players were should have been playing for Ireland in the Six Nations but longer term how do we make sure that the player pathway is better so that there are more Connacht and more Ulster players and more Munster players in the team yeah I look I to be honest I think it fits and has always fit into a cycle and it doesn't have to be more representative of it has to be the best players I mean this is not a a sports tough you know the better players who play in better teams get a better chance to play for their country it doesn't matter what country that is actually and if you look at it and I've looked at it for the last number of years um, Leinster have been pretty much you know flying very very high they have they play a style that fits into the national style incredibly easily easily so if you are looking for the next player on the block it's often easier to pick a Leinster player because they're more up to speed and you need you need that to be the case um, the responsibility goes on the provinces to be able to deliver more. I always think it's going to be difficult for Connacht because um, they don't have the depth of in- infrastructure that the other provinces have had, but they have been building on it over a period of time. They are getting more players into the squad more often. Um, it's, you know, it, it goes down to a whole variety of different conversations we've had over the past. And, um, you know, that conversation of Victor Matfield discussing with Ewan Van Grand that um, Leinster get all the best players. Well, they get all the players that come out of the private schools at a higher level of preparation than some of the other ones. But the onus then goes on the other provinces to be able to counteract that benefit that is in Dublin and Leinster and not copy it because it isn't something that can be copied, but they have to think differently. They can't bemoan the fact. They just have to do it better. And so they're, they have been building, and I know they have been in Ulster, and they definitely have in Munster, building different structures to try and maximise the potential of the young guys that are coming through. And you do want as many players playing for a province that come from that province. You do, because it gives and builds that sense of identity that a fan and supporter wants to wants to follow. So I do think it's happening, but it takes a period of time. And I would say that in the last 10 or 15 years, it didn't happen quickly enough. And so now it is happening, but it still is going to take a period of time to come through. But I, I can say with comfort watching it from an Irish perspective, that when I look at the under-20s play, and I look at the spread of those players, and I look at the quality of the guys that are coming through, you know that it's beginning to pay um, dividends and you just want to see it pay dividends faster and quicker, but it can only happen in the speed it can happen. It is narrowing that gap, is it, Keith? in your opinion, Leinster and the rest? Well, I also think Leinster have been in a position of, of strength because of the quality of the players that they've had through. It isn't just the number of the players, it's mm. the quality of the players, you know, and um, it is about bridging the gap, but... If you look, I know it's kind of 
living in the past a little, but if you go back 15, 20 years, Munster were in the ascendancy and it does go in a cycle, you know, and at that stage, Munster couldn't even, like, it, they wouldn't have countenance losing to Leinster, you know, which is, which is interesting when you see what's happened over the last number of years. But Leinster have had the upper hand. Um, I would still expect Ulster to, to come much more to the fore. And I think they've, they've still got a, um, a young team, a pretty exciting team that have been a bit bruised this year. I thought this was the year that they were going to, to, to go an awful lot further. And they, you know, um, they absolutely still could. And, um, they end up having the biggest, uh, game that they've had for a while at the weekend. So, um, but look, I'm, I am convinced of it being cycles. I'm not, um, but when you have a, almost a perfect storm like Leinster have at the moment, they have, strength and depth all over the place and they are a huge power in the game but I don't know that that goes down to there being a huge amount of um, uh, uh, lack of ambition in the other places it hasn't been that at all but I don't think the processes have been right I think they're getting right now um, and I think it'll take a bit of time for it to work You mentioned the fact that Munster have to go down to South Africa play, to play the Sharks and the Stormers um, where, what, did you, what did you make of last weekend? Like twenty-eight unanswered points for for Glasgow in that first half was was disappointing from a Munster perspective, or, or you know, is it turnaroundable? I guess is the question. Um, I think it is, and I think it's it's quite interesting. If we go back to the start of the season, we would have looked at a Munster team that didn't seem to have a huge amount of structure, seemed off the pace. Um, it took a while for Roundtree to bed in. He's a good, strong, honest coach who doesn't shirk any comments that's thrown at him in, a, in an interview. And I know he doesn't shirk it on the field either um, in terms of conversations with the players. But I think where Munster had got to it was pretty pretty phenomenal from their start, actually. And uh, and I think with the squad. So um, I I would have said consistently not to talk them down too much at the start, not to talk them up too much in the middle. They are a work in progress. They're also a team that when you get to playing good, really good teams, they need to be as close to full um, full strength for them to win. And I don't know what it was. I, the attitude seemed wrong at the weekend. They, it was lackluster. It's just a poor, it was a poor game. Um but I always think that you have to you have to look at a team that doesn't have the strength of of, of depth as like Leinster have. When you look at Munster, you say you want to see them when they have their full full fifteen out, full twenty three out, because that's when you can see everything. Because it doesn't paper over the cracks, but that's what the Munster team is. Um, there isn't the strength and depth for them to consistently have very high levels of performance. I thought Glasgow played well. Um, but bullied a monster pack, and um, and that's not good enough. And look, I think they were read the riot act at halftime, and they performed much better in the second half, but not nearly good enough, really, for for what you'd expect at this time of the year. So, look, they have to get their their confidence up, squeeze into some seats, and fly down to South Africa, um, play a game which you've no real idea how the sharks will go because they've been totally up or down. Um, one thing I would hope to see this weekend is a big crowd. That's that's one of the elements that is required for any of this uh, South African adventure to to work. It needs to bring more people to watch the game. 
Um, it needs to be something that's essential. I don't know whether that's going to happen or not. We've been hearing some rumours that it will happen, that those, those um, knockout ties will draw big, big crowds. But as you say, that's all. Uh, will, the proof will be in the, the um, crowd shots, assuming they're real. Um, I, what success then over the next couple of weeks from Munster's perspective, given that this is the start of a new era and they're trying something different and notwithstanding everything you've said is, is not an excuse, it's an explanation for where we are. How will they look back on this season if what needs to happen over the next few weeks and to go, yeah, that was good? Well, I think if we were to make a, a sort of correlation to last year uh, or the last few years, actually, um, what they're looking for in big matches are big performances. And that kind of sounds like a bit of a fudge of an answer because everybody would be happy with a bad performance if they won, you know. But but what had happened over the last number of years were in some of those very big games, uh, Munster failed to, to fire a shot. And that can't be allowed to happen. The progression that has happened this year is a little bit more inventiveness, uh, a little bit more movement in in the back line. Um different things happening than a kicking game, right? So it has to be that. It has to be a mixture, of course, but it has to be it has to be that. And with the players that they can they can put onto the field on Saturday, I think they can go and win that game by having a very high level of performance. So that's what I'm looking for. I mean that's what I'm looking for. But if they go down and become conservative and don't attempt to play um and lose. That's that's what I think the fans have have kind of have failed for, the, 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 or have 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 been upset over the, the, the you know the idea that you can get to those big games and not really try and get strangled by some of the other teams. That's been the progression that the monster supporters haven't seen, and they want to follow their team. So for that, they need the minimum level of of of, of what happens on a Saturday, which is a really big performance. Yeah. Okay. Uh, one quick question on the the other game um, involving the Irish provinces in the in the Champions Cup. Leinster are heavy favourites against Ulster, but uh, almost as big a turnaround from Ulster over the last while as there has been from Connacht, where Ulster looked like a basket case, like everything that they were trying was failing. When something happened, they they obviously uh, got everybody in, had a conversation, and completely turned their season around. And they actually have all of their best players playing for them at the moment, particularly in the back line, and they look damn good. Well, this is the most interesting game of the weekend, and it's interesting not from a Leinster perspective, because I still expect them to have a, a big performance and play very well, but from Ulster, because the unspooling of Ulster um, came when they lost to Leinster earlier in the season, and they were so far ahead and suddenly everything went wrong in the second half. And from then on in, they lost a chunk of games afterwards, lost all their confidence, all their shape, all their aggression, all their self-belief almost, and now have eked it back again. So, But this is like returning to the scene of the crime. So whether this one will actually work for them or not, um, I think this is the, the biggest game that they'll have played um, in the last three or four years because... Um, if they were to lose or lose heavily or lose their confidence in this game, um, that could be uh, that could be very destructive for Ulster. So there's an awful lot riding in this game. Keith, we'll leave it there for now. Good stuff. Thanks a million. Cheers, gents.
It's Keith Wood giving us a thoughts there. It's uh, 8.48 this morning. If you want to get in touch, you can leave a comment in the YouTube stream, youtube.com forward slash off the ball. You need to be subscribed. You can get us on Twitter at off the ball AM. Carl Milani is with us. Carl, good morning to you. How are you? Hi, lads. How's it going? All well? It's a, a quiet day. Is that fair? Quietish. Well, we're talking about Scotland and Spain after last night. Uh, that's the, the big news from last night's international matches. And I don't know if you saw the comments of Rodri after the game where he's uh, called the Scottish style of play rubbish. <laughs> um so he's moaning about that you know Scott you're entitled to do what you want to do to try and win matches I think mm. you know in terms of style of play and stuff like that I mean that's the Love of this part of the stuff. game yeah. Scotland won 2-0 yeah. and were full value for it they created were. a number of other chances in which they might have scored Spain had one maybe good chance and one other chance where the keeper had to make a save Yeah, um, and so it wasn't close like no. the Scott McTominay show Two goals again, four and two. Left, two left-footed goals. Yeah, well. I, th- I thought the finish for the second one in particular was good. Because really good. Sometimes you see midfielders coming onto the ball like that and they'll try and smash it where he's kind of a little bit more measured mm. and, and finishes it nicely. Um, the pitch as well was a talking point at Hampton Park where there was talk that maybe Scotland <laughs> didn't prepare it as well as they might have otherwise. Uh, to and if you're playing a team with the Spain. technical ability of Spain, you're of course going to chop up the pitch a bit. Yeah. And Why wouldn't you? There could have been a bit of arrogance on the part of Spain as well. They beat Norway in their first match 3-0 and then they made eight changes for last night's match. Um, obviously, they're not in the space that they were a decade ago where you you know they were obviously the top team in the world at that time and playing lovely football. Um, so I'm not sure where they're heading in terms of the future, but like I mean, they probably will get out of that group anyway. Norway were held to a draw by Georgia last night. But for Scotland, two from two, they're in a brilliant position. And uh, Hamden's a really difficult place to go for all those top teams, but it's their first win over Spain in 40 odd years. Yeah. Uh, all of these results have a knock on impact on us in some way. Do we need Scotland or Norway? I mean, this is off the top of my head, but Scotland or Norway, whoever is the second seed, we need all the second seeds basically to finish in the top two uh, to cascade down for us to get a playoff. Mm. It's a convoluted process, it's a little bit complicated. Yeah, Cabana on actually in the screen. Should, yeah, but, uh, yeah it, it's true. And. Um, I think Scotland and Wales won last night as well. They beat Latvia by a goal to nil, which wasn't overly convincing, uh, given Ireland beat them spot three two. Yeah, so goal margin again. Um, but yeah, like I, I, you have to give Steve Clark a lot of credit. I think as Scotland manager, they look to really have got it together there. Um, took him a while to get there. Took him a while, but it, it probably shows. Uh, give 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 him time. Give a manager time, and he can and he can do it. And there seems to be a real union between the supporters and, and the team as well in terms yeah. of the connection yeah yeah. Uh, and they do have slightly better players than us at the moment you would have to say yeah I think McTominay and Robertson obviously as well are mm. two key key players McTominay needs to move to like Newcastle seems to be the club that, that's consistently linked with, with Scott McTominay he's not going to get game time anymore at Manchester United to a large degree I know they'll, they'll have Europa League and FA Cup to contend with this season still so we might get a few games yeah. if he's, if Newcastle are interested in him he should go there straight away yeah. but I don't he's think only 26 I don't only think. 26 I mean there's no way that Newcastle are going to be signing Scott McTominay as um, something that they're, they think is going to catapult them into the Champions League next season or Champions League contenders or title contenders. So he'd be very lucky if that, ha- if that happens. Um, it's a team in the bottom half of the Premier League who is more likely. Really? Do you not think he has the quality level to help Newcastle to win a title? Another, well, reach another level. Yeah, he, he's a very good... He, he kind of misunderstood because he was part of that Mac Fred link up under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer that was cast, castigated consistently and probably rightly so some of the performances weren't, weren't great at all when those pair were, were the central defensive uh, or central midfield partnership but he's, he's a very good player Scott McTominay like he's almost become a laughing stock figure at United now 
not quite to the level of Harry Maguire. Based on but last night, he'd make a big impact. I he's think, pretty, He's a very good footballer. Yeah, I think he would help Newcastle. Um, all right, what else? Uh, there's a couple of big games tonight in the women's Premier Division here at home. Uh, leaders P Mount against uh, Shelburne, the reigning champions. That game at 7:45. Uh, Bohemians deal or way. Shamrock Rovers, Wexford Dudes, Athlone against Galway and Treaty United uh, versus Cork City. The other games uh, this evening. The Irish cricketers in action as well. They're just getting underway in the next few minutes at nine o'clock against Bangladesh. That's in the second of their T20 internationals. And uh, as I say, that one gets underway at nine. Ireland lost the opening match in that T20 series on Monday. Katie McCabe in Champions League action tonight as well for Arsenal in the second leg against Bayern. Yeah, they're 1-0 down uh, on aggregate after the first game. So that game is tonight at 8 as well. Um, so yeah, it's all happening. Uh, lots of football. And then we're just saying the Premier League stuff will return. Uh, so it's uh, mm. relentless. It's hard to get back into the Premier League, I find, after an international break sometimes. Uh, just to refocus on the whole thing. Well, Philippe Clare's point yesterday was a very good one. that the, It shouldn't be called the international break. <laughs> technically, that's when the internationals aren't on a break at all. That's when they happen. So it's, I mean, it's semantics, but look. It's a point worth worth bringing up, I think. Uh, yeah, I think the Premier League starts with a uh, bang. Yeah, it always does this. City. Man City, Manchester City against Liverpool at half past 12 on, <laughs> yeah. on Saturday, just to remind you, to jolt you back into action. Yep. Uh, all right, good stuff. Thanks Thank for, you, for that call. Uh, Derek McNamara is in studio next with the final word on the Men's Six Nations. Michael Burney talked to Joe last night about Kilkenny's new era. The modern and the old methods, a lot of, you know, a lot of what Brian Cody you know, did for the, the 23 seasons he was in charge there, still remains just a bit of a modern mix to it. Uh, their their striking is a bit crisper in around that you know twenty five thirty yard pass where they're trying to build. There's more runners off the shoulder now than there was before, and in the likes of Billy Drennan, uh, Timmy Clifford, David Blanchfield, Derek Corcoran, there's a nice sprinkling of new faces coming in, and that's not to mention TJ Reid, Adrian Mullen, um, and a couple more a couple more that will be back in time. On Cody was missing for the weekend as well, so they're in a pretty good place, particularly depth wise. There's a fair depth to that Kilkenny squad and. You'd have to say, that, like after being beaten by Tipperary in the league and being been beaten pretty comprehensively, Derek Ling has bounced back fairly spectacularly. And if you're looking at, you know, a team that will not care about, you know, when you know, won't be worrying about whether he's going to go 100 percent for the league or not, they will go hammer and tongs for the league because they see it as a great opportunity to get silverware. Cody always targeted the league, always tried to get silverware. So in that sense, I think you're set up for a humdinger of a final. More hurling a little bit later on in the show with Sarah Donovan. In the meantime, Derek McNamara of reactrugby.com is with us to put a tin hat on Ireland's Grand Slam glory. Uh, what are we doing today, Derek? Yeah, I suppose um, it's nice to kind of take a step back and look back at what happened during the competition uh, from an Ireland perspective and you know maybe to look a bit at you know Scotland as well, considering they're going to be in our pool in the Six Nations in the World Cup and kind of take a look back and see what, what were the coaching staff doing? Were they doing the right things? And how we're, we're, we are looking at that is is that we we're, we take a kind of overall look at it, at all the stats and all the analysis and all the data and all the grades, and we can take a look at it and say, all right, well, who are the top guys that were left on the pitch the most during the the, the Six Nations? You know, who are the guys that were played the most or had the you know most amount of impact on the game uh, during the whole competition? And we've thrown together a few slides just to kind of highlight what happened in the different teams and give an idea of uh, Ireland and, and, and the players that played the most amount of time. So um, here we have the top five players who played. So we have Andrew Porter, who played 90%. Of, sorry, when you say top five, Ireland's top five, what top five what? Yeah. 
So minutes played. So they, they, these are the guys that played most or were on the pitch most more than anybody else. So we had four players that played every single minute of every single game. That was James Ryan, Josh van der Fleer, Mark Hansen and James Lowe. And then the fifth player that was behind them was Andrew Porter, which is quite unusual for a, a tight end prop to play 90% of the overall minutes that were playing, played. But the idea is here is we're trying to take kind of everything into consideration, you know, not just the players that played, but what they did on the pitch and where they ranked compared to all the other players. So here we have, we kind of split it into a bunch, bunch of different uh, levels of information, but we have team contributions. So that's their contribution as an overall player onto the game. So this is what their involvement. We also show the ranking. So um, Andrew Porter was third of 13 uh, loose head props. So he ranked quite high. James Ryan was number two of the second row five. So basically this is based on each individual jersey number. Um, so we split the second row fours and second row fives into each uh, specific jersey number. Uh, James Ryan came up second out of the 10 players that played second row uh, with Josh Van der Fleer, Mack Hansen and James Lowe ranked number one of the, the players in, in their positions. Um, and the point here is, is that Ireland were able to leave their top players in those positions on the pitch for more time than any other play- teams in the competition. And uh, it's and obviously credit to the coaching staff. Yeah, this is obviously very important when it comes to um, players like um, certainly in the backs. Right? Is there is there any element where you want to be able to freshen up your most dynamic players? Like, so Josh Underflair playing every minute of every game. We're all delighted when Josh Underflair gets the ball because we know exactly it's going to be a hundred percent. It's going to be perfect. He's like world player of the year. So, but is there any element of you where you're like you wouldn't mind giving an hour rest for ten minutes at the end of a game? Well, that's what the other fourteen players in the pitch are for, Jer. <laughs> to, to give them the yeah, and like so, like when we when we break down individual teams, and um, so. When, when we take the so uh, Ireland had say thirty two players altogether that played in the Six Nations, they you know they they blooded thirty two players altogether, which is you know same as France. Scotland had thirty three, England only had thirty, Wales had thirty five, and Italy only had thirty as well. So Ireland are kind of right in the middle. So I know of the kind of top twenty two players that played of that thirty five. So basically, we're, we're looking at when we take all of the thirty two players, you know how many of them had a significant impact on the, on the match and 22 of them equated to 91% of all things that happened on the pitch um, so there was a nice you know it's a nice number of players compared to France so France blooded 32 players but only 20 20, 20 players uh, 95% of the work rate was done by the 20 players ok so they're so, reliant on a smaller group of correct yeah yeah and, and this is what we're trying to show here and Ar- Ireland Ireland had a larger number of players, but had you know that that work rate spread out amongst the the, the twenty two players. We are tw- thirty two players. You'd have explained this before, Derek. But when you, when you talk about team contribution, so mm. Porter six point one, six point nine percent for James Ryan, six point nine percent as well for Van der Fleer, slightly lower for for Hansen and, and Lowe. But yeah. what exactly does that entail? So that I mean that equates to um, it's kind of the simplest form of the the work rate that we have for for players, um, and that's basically one pass is equal to one point, one tackle is equal to one point, one tackle assist is equal to one point. Um, everything that's involved, you know, line out lift, line out throw, line out catch, uh, line out jump, should I say, um, catches, carries, possessions, contact. It's all of kind of each individual activity that, that we grade, basically. is uh, And, you know, we've got, I think we were up to 2,800 activities per game. 
So it's a large number of activities that, that we grade and we take into consideration when we're, we're, we're calculating these numbers. So it's a function of the quality of work that you were doing and how often you were doing that quality work. Correct, correct. Okay. And th- those, they would all add up to 100 over the 23 players used in the match, is it? Correct. Or, yeah, 20, yeah, 23 players yep. are included in the match. Yeah. So, but uh, this is taken from a overall, from sure. the entire competition from the five games. Okay. So uh, that's Ireland's best players were really good. Um, yeah, yeah. They, they were top quality players. We were able to keep them on the pitch. And as a result, the game plan had a better success or a better, better opportunity of being completed or fulfilled. And we have three forwards and two backs. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now if we go on to Scotland, and uh, slightly different, but you know the Scottish coaching staff did a great job again as well by being able to keep their their best players on the pitch. However, there were when we look at the forwards black back split, um, Scotland only had one forward and had four backs. So they're much more heavily reliant on their backs. Um, but what we can see here as well is is that Ireland had one, two and threes. Um, England or Scotland only have one player who's ranked number one, which is Hugh Jones in the in, in outside centre. Um, so Ireland's f- top five players or front, you know, the players that play the most would be significantly better than Scotland's five five starting players. So and also the other thing to take into consideration as well is here is Scotland only had two players who played 100% of all the, the minutes as well. So we're, we're trying to show that Scotland, ha- the, the players that played the most had an impact, but not as big of impact as, as Ireland did. Which, you know, obviously we, we won the tournament and, um, and they didn't. Yes, uh, that's correct. But this is, I, I suspect, I mean, we obviously don't have historical data for Scotland over the last decade or so, but... This seems like it's a quantum leap forward from, you know, flaky Scotland. We're going to beat them almost no matter what happens, unless they're incredibly lucky or our bus is late yeah. and they score two early tries. But that's not the case anymore. No, not at all. And what's actually even slightly even worry, more worrying is, so if we, if we take these top five players and we rank them against our own, we're number one for the f- top five. When we take the top 10 players were ranked number one as well but when we take the top 15 players so the top 15 players that had the biggest impact we drop from two to one and guess who jumps from second to first Scotland all right yeah yeah so they they they, they were able to get their best 15 on the pitch throughout the competition and um, but that where they lose their is is their backups and their the, the depth that they have so um it's it's really really interesting because you know being able to take entire competitions worth of data and trying it through a system where we try and take every single bit of the work you know that's involved in the ball into consideration means that we don't really have that type of uh perception or, or personality that that most people have about the game. We're trying to use data to really tell the story and, and, and advance what, what, what people at home are learning from. So it's very easy for us to envisage a situation where Scotland get everybody fit for a World Cup game and have one massive big one-off performance where something shocking happens because all their best players play 75, 80 minutes of the game. Really hope that happens against South Africa. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, look, I, I, I don't think Ireland would be too fussed. Like, they're still number one. They're still have the best players in the world, they still have the biggest chance of implementing their game plan, which which consistently is trying to outpower and outlast teams because they've got the highest skill set. I don't know if this, this difference is, is massive in terms of the numbers, but Duan van der being in, having 3.8% of team contribution, compare that to Mack Hansen on the Irish wings, it seems significantly less. Is that a... It is, a yeah. So, Scotland or? so Scotland would play a kind of very... Um, 
consistent type of game plan where the wings stay in the wing and the the they use Finn Russell to get the ball to those players. Mm. But Ireland uh, have a little bit more free reign you, because Ireland played quite a bit tighter. You'll find that McCanson gets involved in the, in the game a little bit more. And also then you've got um, James Lowe, who kicks the ball, significantly part of mm. the game plan. So that's how those two players get involved in the game a little bit more compared to Scotland, who tend to leave their wings sticking on the on the wing and leave them out there. Okay. So it's uh, it's just a slight change in, in game plan. Yeah, the fact that, that, that's a fitness level of Hanson and Lowe, the fact that they have 100% minutes played. Yeah, on the wing that that's not easy. No, no, but it's 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 tell you what, it's much much harder for uh, Josh Vanderplier and James yeah, Ryan. Of wow, Jesus, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, and um, and then we they, we've also taken into consideration then the other teams as well. Just kind of from a very high level, you know, France didn't really have very many players in the you know number one player in the competition at, at nearly any position. They were either second, third, or fourth, but also they they were including so the, you know their wingers. Um, they only had one player, Jekyll Fiku, who played actually the full um, 400 minutes. Um, and then their other players, you know, their, their wingers wouldn't be considered at the very top of the, the, the competition. And their second rows as well. So obviously Dupont comes in at number two. And that's, I know, we'll probably get a bit of stick about this. About how can Dupont be number two? He's the best player in the world. Um, when we take everything into consideration and we look at what a nine does as a player... You know, seventy percent of what an average nine is doing is passing the ball, but Dupont. What makes Dupont really good is that he's really good at carrying the ball. But again, he does turn the ball over. Like he, I think he had four or five turnovers against England, and he had a couple of against um, the last game as well. So, when we take all of that into consideration and we look at his accuracy of passing and and look at, at you know, we we can't give a player. Um, special dispensation just because he carries more you know what I mean so we need to we need to put him at the same level as all the other players even though he does do special things and we do obviously take that into consideration as well um, it's interesting that France only use one player for um, every minute of every game because you know they, they were unbelievably happy at the end of the competition like very confident with the way the whole thing had panned out they're going to have every game at home they're, they're feeling themselves. They have very strong confidence off the back of the tournament, particularly the way it finished for them. So I wonder how much of this they're happy with where it's like, no, we haven't peaked. We're, we're nowhere near our peak just yet, but we, we showed that we can when we um, plan for uh, the England game, for example. That um, I, think, I think discipline has a huge thing meant to do with it. Um, you know, because of the amount of yellow cards and the red cards that they got in the competition, that meant the players had to be substituted off to go into different positions. And that's what's reflected here in the French team, you know. Um, if they can get that sorted, I think they've got other issues. Like, I think we tend to um, have recency bias quite a lot when it comes to sport. And we forget about France's first two games in the competition where they really didn't play very well and they were kind of stuck in the mud. And the third game as well. It wasn't until they played against a very poor English side until they actually... Uh, ran riot. Yeah, and Matt Williams says that they trained in the training block all the way through uh, to stress the players so that they would be prepared more for what's coming in the World Cup, which I think would you explain. Can't, you can't... High performance, you can't be training 
for a different competition while you're while you got a match next week. The only match you should be training for is the week the game. I'm not sure about that. I don't. I mean, what, what France won a Grand Slam last year, so winning the Grand Slam this year and then bowing out in the group stages of the quarterfinal of the World Cup, everybody's going to go. Well, what was the point of those Grand Slams? France have one thing on their agenda this year, and that's winning yeah, the World Cup. But I, but when you look at it from a high performance from an analytical perspective, you can't take. You got to take small incremental steps to improve. Well, but so last year France peaked. Mm-hmm. They they reached the level, and in November they came down off that level. We were like, oh, this is interesting. They're not quite the same team. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if they decided that they were going to periodize differently for this, mm-hmm. for specific reasons, then I can see how they'd be feeling feeling pretty confident about it. But if you if you're playing week in week out, if you're playing you know twenty thirty five games a week a year then you can say, all right, we can peak for, we can try and peak for certain parts of the season. But when you've got six games between now and the World Cup and you're saying that you're going to peak for September, that's, you've got, you've only got three or four games together. You've then got a massive break. You've got all your players that are going to go off and play in different leagues and play at different levels. You can't, you can't try and peak for different periods. You have to peak. You have to be have your best players, your best performance, your best game plan for the next week's game. That's all that matters. This whole idea of thinking to World Cup prior to the Six Nations, but that's also not exist. true because you you don't need to peak for the Italy game. Like you don't. You, you can you can have and you can also mix and match. I I, I think that there's many different ways to skin mm. this, right? And I I think if you're um, if you're France, and so I, uh, Matt was the only person who I've um, heard say this, and I've no reason to doubt that it hasn't kind of swept the French rugby culture. That um, that they were, uh, I think maybe maybe we're, we're in semantics here. That this is not a tournament that they went out to be at their absolute uh, peak in every single game. That this was a tournament that they were stressing the players in a way that they expect to be stressed in the World Cup and what they're doing is mimicking those conditions as best they can while not caring about the cutthroat nature of winning this competition and I think that the, I would actually argue that the um, stats are kind of reflecting that a bit I I wouldn't mind being yeah. France basically is what I'm saying <laughs> well I wouldn't mind being from Ireland to be fair like we're number one we haven't lost a game in God knows how long I don't know. I, I, I disagree. I, I think if you listen to any um, any professional player or any professional team or any professional winning culture, they'll ne- they'll always tell you that it's always the next game. It's never has anything to do with any bigger picture down the line. Like all you're focused on and all the work that you do is dedicated to winning the next game. Especially when you only have 12, 13 games a year, you can't. Like obviously, there, there can be stepping stones to. Uh, a different part of the season but I think that's the, the major issue that Ireland have had in the last World Cup cycles is that we've dedicated so much power or brain power or so much um, uh, what would you call it uh, preparation time or- yeah but so much pressure into the World Cup that we've got to you know six weeks out from the World Cup and there's so much pressure on us because we've put so much pressure on us as a as a country and as a team, Ireland have not done that this time. Okay, they haven't. They they've stuck to their plans. They're like, okay, if we can take small incremental gains, if we can play different ways, if we can learn how to win in different situations and different, you know, the the, the amount of adversity that they had in this year's competition is huge, and they've come through it. And that is the way to win. Be, become the best team in the world and stay there. 
and you know I think that's you know they'll, they'll continue that that fashion. I don't I don't think they Ireland had any thoughts about the World Cup during this competition whatsoever, and I don't think France did either. I th- I hundred percent think France did. I absolutely think. I, I don't think there's any any doubt that France were thinking about the World Cup. The, the, mm. Their entire rugby culture for the last eight years has been about winning the World Cup in France, down to winning the World Cup the right to host it yeah. to appointing the coach a year out from the previous World Cup so I've no doubt that they were thinking about the, the World Cup anyway anyway, anyway. yeah England uh, yeah. Wales and Italy yeah so um, just we, uh, we might just jump on to the last slide then uh, Wales just to kind of show the bottom two teams so you know Ireland had number ones and number twos and one number three uh, ranked players um, but when we look at Ryan Baird for instance um, who was the only player from Wales who played 100, 100 minutes or 100% of the, the minutes Adam, Adam Baird uh, sorry yeah. Adam Baird yeah. what do I say Ryan Ryan Baird sorry, oh. sorry Ryan um, Adam Baird so he ranks 7th uh, of 11 when it comes to, to second rows right. um, and the reason why that is is because he's 8th at rooking he's 7th at carrying he's 8th at tackling and he's 7th at line eights when we take the other second row fours into consideration it's a so, long climb back for Wales isn't it yeah, they also used the most amount of players. They also, you know, that it, that, that, you know, of the twenty-three starting players, only eighty-nine percent of the work rate was completed by those twenty-three players. So, there's, they're really are in this spray. And also, like they had the highest number of um, tackle off the balls, which is a kind of old school way of playing. And that's basically where you get your players to sprint up and make the tackle, no matter if the ball's got there or not. And you look at, it, at the other defenses, which, like Ireland's and even like Italy's, which is. Um, move your players up and don't make the, the decision to tackle um, until your opposition ma- make the pass cutting out the decision making of the uh, attack so it's um, it's look it, 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 Wales are not anywhere near where they need to be um, and Italy as well like unfortunately Italy have a number of players like they've always had you know three or four players deficit to be a good team and you know we can probably see that in the Irish women's team as well where there's uh, two or three of the players that probably aren't at the level that need to be and once the ball gets to them then things tend to break down it's funny when you look at Wales using the most players on in, on paper I'm thinking in my head oh that means they've reasonable strength and depth but actually it's it's a negative thing it's a complete opposite yeah. yeah but you're even the age profile of the Welsh players you know Warren Cracklin bringing all these players back to try and Calm the storm. It just it hasn't it worked. Didn't work at all. Did it? No, it backfired. Mm. Um, Even if you look at the 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 top or at the URC as well, and you're looking at some of the mistakes that those players are making in the URC, it looks like an amateur it, sport. It, like it, it keeps transferring into the um, the senior international side. Okay, so last word on this. Uh, you're pretty happy about where Ireland are. Oh yeah, Shaney Mac. Like, <laughs> where, how could I not be? Like, we're Grand Slam champions. We're world number one. We've played. We've learned to play in different ways. We've learned to play to win. To win in different situations. We beat France. We've beaten, you know, everybody. We've beaten New Zealand and New Zealand. We've beaten South Africa. We're, we can play without Sexton. You know, we've, we can play um, in different ways with different players. Um, I think one position that we're probably, that nobody else is talking about that I think we are a little bit weak in is probably the second row. You know, if Ty Byrne isn't there, I, I don't think that the players that are behind him are, you know, and, and if um, Henderson. Hendo isn't there, then, you know, there's we're not as strong as I think people think we are in that position. And that's, you know, the second row is a hugely important part of, of, of Ireland's winning. So, um, but as a whole, yeah, like it's, you know, we we, uh, we don't need to dramatise it. We don't need to get up too big of a head of ourselves. But we are the, we are the favourites to go win the World Cup, I think. 
Okay. Love it. On that note. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Let's play this clip back when we win it. Uh, Derek McNamara, more of that goodness at reactrugby.com. Thanks so many for being with us over the course of Six Nations. Cheers, uh, really interesting insights across it. Uh, OTBAM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shape or your money back. Neo Night Edition is available now. Some brilliant highlights on the OTB Podcast Network for you. We have the uh, Hurling Pods, Rugby Daily, which you should subscribe to in its feed, and the Football Show, which obviously is in-depth analysis on the Ireland game. You can follow us across our social channels and subscribe, as I said, to the OTB Podcast Network. Up next, Sarah Dunham in the studio talking hurling. You're listening to OTB AM. OTB GAA. Stephen Cluxton's back in the Dublin team. <laughs> I'm not joking. Um, Stephen, that, Stephen Cluxton is on the pitch He is togged out for Dublin Are you sure he's not a mascot Joe? I am 100% sure he's not a mascot Stephen Cluxton is part of the Dublin panel today I'm surprised as anyone Joe Subscribe to the OTBGAA podcast feed Wherever you get your podcasts OTB AM With Gillette Labs Get the ultimate shave or your money back Neon Night Edition available now it's 17 minutes past nine. You're very welcome back to OTBAM. I'm delighted to say Sarah Donovan has joined us in studio to talk to us about uh, where we are with regards to the, the hurling season. Um, we should start with Limerick, I suspect, uh, in the in the news at the moment, uh, front-hand back pages, but we'll skip to the back pages. Um, Michael Burney was on last night saying that he hasn't known a team in sport to react to adversity like this Limerick side. Maybe the Irish rugby team, but uh, anyway. They're pretty good at like absorbing what it is. It feels almost like it's kind of by design that they're happy to watch what you're doing and um, a bit like the Terminator how does that work what are you doing over there okay no we'll crush that now we'll wait a while crush that then I'd agree um, I watched the highlights again of the, the second or the first half this morning and there's a point where temporary clearance is to Jason Ford and he drifts off his man and he steps out and he great little touch into the hand and he puts it over the bar that's obviously not the intensity limerick we're looking at so the kind of stats that they're talking about to change the game is simply push up on Jason Ford don't, don't allow him to win that easy score early on Limerick did a bit of that in the first half they did a lot of watching and then in the second half they turned the screw Is that is that because they're so confident or is that entirely what a game plan is like that um, I, I, why does this happen? Why is their second half so far so vastly superior to their first half? I would struggle to answer that question right now um, I don't understand, I suppose. I, I think they probably waited to see what Tipperary brought and what Tipperary brought was enough for 40 minutes. Mm. And then they just decided to to add a layer, right? And Now, I'm going to say this. Uh, the likes of Keane Lynch is benefiting from the work that the likes of Colin Coughlin is doing, right? Because two different scores came from Colin Coughlin breaking lines doing really really heavy mm. work one from Gillan to put tip ahead, or to put Limerick ahead 1918 and another one where Keane Lynch gives him a ball Colin Coughlin breaks the line and gets him the space to put to pocket you know put the ball over the bar so they're kind of benefiting in the second half from real workhorses putting the players who are the quality players or the shooters into the best mm. positions when you pick out the Keane Lynch's of the, of the Limerick team is Kilkenny's attitude okay, man mark Ian Lynch keep the ball out of his hand or is it is that a dangerous manoeuvre against Limerick because they have so many good players across the pitch focusing on a, on a few of them specifically could, le- could lead to problems elsewhere No well look when Limerick were getting their scores the last day Tom Marcy got a couple of scores Kyle O'Neill got a great score early mm. on you're talking inches yeah. like Tipperary were getting within an inch of getting a hook on and I suppose 
if Keane Lynch that early ball for the, there was a free from Dermot Burns to Keane Lynch mm. that Keane Lynch wins that ball in hand and then he gets away and gets his score Tipperary were going full tilt right up against him to try and stop him from winning the ball they were just unlucky so I think you have to step up on Keane Lynch yeah. and make sure he doesn't win that ball and target him first because what he does with the ball and the decisions that he makes um, Rena Buckley spoke last week to Brian O'Driscoll about being a really good decision maker and that's what kept her in the team for so long mm-hmm. that's what Keane Lynch does he's a brilliant decision maker and he opens up pockets of space so he's the first man that Kilkenny have to target to shut down so that he doesn't make the right decision and open up a pocket of space before we focus a bit more on, on the, the finalists, um, from Tipperary's perspective, like I don't think they thought they were much closer to Limerick than the weekend has shown. How do you how do you deal with that in a team environment? Because it it can crush you when you're looking at like, geez, we played really well and Limerick still were they just handled us like it was and also still not really Limerick. Like the, the subs, the bench, the players they have to call on. If if we were to say face them again in, in a Munster final obviously Tipperary would have come through some storms to get there and they'd be feeling yeah. a bit better about themselves I'd be really excited if I was Tipperary right. the likes of Garrett O'Connor right first half catch the massive ball out of the sky under massive pressure um, get some great scores so he knows that he has 40 minutes against Limerick and that's enough to keep them ahead in a game a high pressure game he goes into training for the next 6-8 weeks mm. and he says I'm going to go full tilt for the next six to eight weeks to see can I get yep. 60 minutes you, like if you know you 40 minutes and you've banked 40 minutes six or eight weeks will get you that extra 20-25 minutes so there's enough for them to build on I'd be very positive if I, if right, I was okay. Tipperary coming out of that game hugely positive even, uh, even though when Limerick put the afterburners on you never felt any doubt about the outcome not an issue for me when the summer the change at the, the ground, the possible injuries that could come into play. There's so many things that come into play in the middle of championship. If you look at the way Waterford fell apart last year and their their league form suggested that they were going to be incredibly strong. For Tipperary's point of view, if you can go 40 minutes with Limerick and you've eight weeks to find another 30 minutes, yeah. why not? I'd be very, very excited. I almost feel that in championship... One of the only ways that Limerick, I can see, foresee Limerick losing a big game is if they have 13 or 14 players on the pitch. Like, is that discipline, when we saw it with Willow O'Donoghue striking back with a hurley at the weekend, like, is that a possible concern or area of concern for John Kiley? There's been pockets of indiscipline all through the league from Limerick, and it, players are allowed to react, that's no question, mm. but they're overreacting, you know. Uh, that's the thing that yeah. needs to be cut down. You're allowed to react. I'm allowed to give you a nudge. If like we're, they can't be saints. If you're going to get tug, of course you're going to react. But don't react with such aggression that the man is nearly dead in the ground. That's the issue <laughs> yeah. here. So don't that's what John Kiley has to deal with. Don't give the referee a decision. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, they've they've always had a bit of that in them, though, right? Like, so this is the the perpetual argument between that bit where you play on the edge and then you go too far. If it blows up over the course of the Munster Championship and they arrive in the All-Ireland Series with a couple of major suspensions hanging over them, that'd be a disaster. But it doesn't feel like... It always feels like there's a reason for it, that they're not they're not at full tilt and they're a little bit narky about the fact that they're not fully fit and that they've been caught by what they would see as an inferior team or an inferior opponent who is somehow managing to drag them into a 50-50 battle when they know that actually in their heart of hearts that it should be a 75-25 because they're the kings and they're the big dogs. And what was interesting on Saturday night was John Kiley's decision. If you remember Barry Murphy gets injured, uh, he's a collision with his own player. 
he goes off. Garrett Hagerty comes on. Now, Garrett Hagerty last year suffered from the, the overreaction, we'll say. And if I was any manager at that point, other than John Kiley, I'd have said, leave Garrett Hagerty on now. Barry Murphy's done enough. John Kiley calls Garrett Hagerty back in, puts Barry Murphy back onto the field. Mm. And Garrett Hagerty's coming off, scratching his head, going, actually, I wasn't ready to come off here. So those bigger players, I suppose, are realising... Barry Murphy came back on, won a free immediately in his defence, and then obviously they they went, you know, they got a score out of it. John Kiley now has the opportunity to show these bigger players. Listen, I'm I'm building this team, kind of parallel to to your brilliance. Yeah, I'm building other players who were able to do the same job. Yeah, and like they are all thinking about a five in a row and matching the dubs. Like, of course they are. But and if if there's a slight hint that you're going to be the one who is the sacrificial lamb along the way, even though you're the most storied of the players. And like they're looking around and going, some players who are pretty good are no longer in the change room. That must create an environment where it gets uh, cutthroat in the best possible way for keeping your place, which obviously continues to drive the standards. They're in that sweet spot that the dubs had for a period of time. Absolutely. And look, we're looking at the under-20s are playing tonight, right? Uh, Limerick are out against Clare. Adam English is playing midfield. Shane O'Brien's playing corner forward. They shoot the lights out tonight. And all of a sudden, they're going into training Thursday night, cock of the walk. And these older guys are going, God, you know, it's mm. just that freshness. Carl O'Neill's point in the first half yeah. against Tip was exceptional. I, I think this Tip team, and, and I'm delighted to say that you can watch them from every angle. They are just stunning to watch. Declan Hanna makes a decision in the second half on Saturday night. The camera pans away and we get to see him make a choice between an underhand pass and an overhand pass because the overhand pass is slicker and he does that in the space of half a second. And there's so much about Limerick that you just want to write down. There's 20, 20 different things in the second half that I loved that I hadn't seen before. Mm. Just their accuracy from distance as well. Yeah, now... The decision making the first half was off because obviously Dermot Burns took a couple of shots that were wayward, that went wide. I think it was 12 out of 24, Michael Fernie was saying last night. You know, Aaron Galan's inside going, what, what, what kind of a ball was that? Yeah. You know, there's a frustration there. Use O'Dolig, use Galan, use Pete, Peter Casey. Don't be taking your shot from 80 yards. There's that bit of, I suppose, inconsistency that they need to iron out. Is that a league thing where you're allowed to do that in the league and you're finding your range so that come summertime uh, that that gets to 70-75% accuracy and suddenly they're scoring 30 points? Well, look, you make a mistake and then I'd hammer you Tuesday night in the dressing room about yeah. it. I'd show the video and I'd say, where was the ball? Where was the ocean of space? Yeah. It wasn't where you put it. Of those two defeated teams the weekend, Tip and Cork, who are you feeling more optimistic about when it comes to... Championship. I know I'm asking a Cork woman this question, but I hope to not talk about Cork this week. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, if I'm being incredibly honest, I think that the maturity in the tip side is much more evident than it is in the Cork side. Cork, look, Ethan Toomey was playing midfield for Cork the last day. You know, he, the, Connor Fogarty and Alan Murphy did very well for Kilkenny in that midfield. I thought the Cork team looked quite young. They looked quite like Dublin. You know, in the league, they had that, I suppose, freshness about them that isn't necessarily a good thing. The maturity is in Tip, mm. and I think Tip will be much more confident coming into the Munster Championship than Cork will. Pal 74 makes the point. Limerick had no bookings in the Munster final, All Ireland semi final, or final last year when the pressure was at its most. They were disciplined. I, I 
think that was kind of John Keenan didn't see a, a game for the rest of the season after the Munster final because it was so frenetic and wild so that, yeah you can't read too much into that you can't read too much into the bookings I do remember talking to Groot Hegarty about the sendings off though and like there was a sense that um, there's a they don't feel fully right but when they do feel fully right they're much more controlled because I think I think they're so surgical that they'll they will take whatever you have to give them and they'll be like, okay, grand, that, that all you got? Yeah, but uh, but I think that first half, there was a, a number of points where they just stepped off tip and that's unlike them. And I don't know whether that was them giving tip a window to to show what they have and then utilising it. But I don't think teams are built like that to allow teams to kind of take a run on us. It's not like you give a team a handicap and they say, you yeah. know, go go four or six points ahead and we'll see can we catch you. Yeah. I yeah. don't think that's what they're about. Mm. Uh, okay, what about Kilkenny? Because um like they still definitely have a peppering in of really top quality players to come back into that setup. And again, I, I like the Tipperary game early in the league, you're like, oh this could be interesting, but then it wasn't. It was like mechanical in the best possible way. We are still Kilkenny. There's been it looks like there's been a continuation of the Cody era values and application and everything that you would have expected. There's been no drop in that and uh, and maybe they're even better. I was negative about them against Tipperary. I just didn't like what they were trying to do that day. They looked a more qualified team to play the short passing game against Cork. So they've certainly worked on that in the last six weeks. TJ Reid, you know, finished up the end of January with Ballyhale in flying form. He's now had seven weeks off. Mm. It feels like an age since he's been out of the team, yeah. but it's only been seven weeks since we have seen him play. So you're expecting him to come back into the setup. He will be needed. Um, I think he will cause Declan Hannan more hassle than Noel McGrath caused Declan Hannan, you know, on, on Saturday night. Adrian Mullen back in the setup. Kilkenny had a spread of scores the last day but Corkson discipline allowed Billy Drennan to get one thirteen. I mean is he taking the freeze when TJ comes back has to didn't miss one has to because TJ is so good TJ at takes them you're saying no I think Billy, Drennan I think Billy has to stay on them TJ's game can be played in any one of the six forward positions mm. I think for the league for what Billy Drennan has scored in the league one fifty two. yeah you can't take him off these frees in, in a crunch period especially with the fact that TJ is older he carries injuries in championship if he gets a hamstring injury and Billy has to go back on the freeze, is it not good that Billy has banked that league final mm. has had that pressure scored you know put them through and yeah it's interesting right because obviously TJ has been doing it for so long it feels like some some games where he'll he'll win his own freeze and he'll score from freeze and it's like oh he didn't score from play like, he won like four of those frees <laughs> yeah. and he scored himself like yeah. you know the, the stats don't always tell the full no. story so he'll probably want to go back on them as like uh, I'm getting my eye in here I don't I don't think that would be an issue for, for TJ I, I just think for the league final if there's a, a throw up between the two it has to be Drennan it has to be Drennan. It's quite encouraging how Derek Ling has actually changed things. Like Hugh Lawler's gone from three to six, Podrick Walsh from 11, 11 to cornerback, yeah. which is like, he, he's he's entrepreneuring things. He's trying things out, Derek Ling. You know, he had and to Paddy change Paddy Deegan up to, yeah, yeah up to said. I, I think he's looking at, and again, it comes back to the best decision makers. Mm. So they're looking to play the short ball out from the back. They're looking for lads who are composed on the ball. Richard Reid has to come back into that mm. setup. I was in Croke Park before Christmas watching Richard Reid at six. His distribution in both the Leinster final and the All-Ireland Club final, exceptional. Mm. 
players who are playing out of the back now have to be controlled on the ball. That's where Cork, I suppose, showed a lack of maturity the last day. They weren't able to find their their forwards. I think Brian Roach gave one razor pass to Shane Kingston, which was a great score. Mm. But the quality wasn't there for Cork last Sunday and they weren't getting enough shots off. And that's the other thing. Sometimes when you're not in a game and you're struggling to get into a game, you just need to get a shot off. It doesn't have to be a score, but you have to build momentum, push up the field and Cork weren't doing that. Somebody good is not going to get out of the Munster Championship. Agree. Uh, Could be Cork. Because if you're looking at it, Brian Lone is in with Clare for the last four years. He knows that Clare team inside out. Um, Waterford, to be honest, I don't think Waterford are going to be able to marry everything that they tried to do in the league and present themselves in the Munster Championship as a viable unit. So I would say it'll be one of Cork or Clare who will struggle to get out of the league with Limerick and Tip. Right. It's going to be interesting anyway. Mm. I know, but you know what I want? I want Joe Canning to come back in just like Stephen Cluxton because oh. the footballers have wiped our eye and I've decided the only man to save Hurling is Joe Canning. Right, you're calling for that now because he's doing a press call for um, the, the Sunday game so it'd be it'd need to be something very, very important to get him back. But wouldn't it be ideal? He's had, he's had a nice time, you know. He's, uh, he's been on the couch in the Sunday yeah, yeah. game. Well, he's you know, travelling the world. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And look... Playing a lot of golf. Keeping the eye in. But wouldn't that, Let's be wouldn't you, that Joe. save the hurling season if Joe was parachuted back into the Galway team for the season and Stephen Cluxton, who are you? We, we, we keep mentioning that we're going to talk about this, but we haven't talked about it that much. The next month is basically football wall to wall. The Munster Hurling Championship is going to be swamped in terms of coverage and now I don't know about drama or importance because almost none of the football will matter really apart from who's going to be in the Talisman Cup or who isn't until we get to the group stages and even then the group stages are you know one of the the four teams in the groups are going to go out and the other three are still going to be alive at the end of it so but it's going to be a very interesting GA season uh, yeah I, th- I think the GA are missing a trick with the two under 20 games around tonight I love watching the under 20s hurling that used to be played the under 21 hurling used to be played in the summertime n- well I remember the final was played in, in September because we played as a double header with right. the under 21 hurlers to say 9th of September 2005 mm. um, and it was a great time of year for those competitions and maybe there was a window in April where that break like Cork aren't playing until the 30th of April there was possibly a window where the under 20s competition could have been played and highlighted and gone up against the football because yeah. I'd have gone and watched the hurling mm-hmm. over the football but that's just a bias there there you go Sarah good stuff thanks a million for that that's Sarah, Sarah Dunham giving us her thoughts on that we'll obviously uh, talk more about this weekend's hurling and the significance of the uh, Kildare Kerry game on the show a little bit later on in the week but uh, some final quick comments for you Vernie made a valid point last night if Limerick had beaten it has to be in the knockout stage otherwise you're just rattling the lion's cage is that the argument that you're not going to beat them twice or nobody's going to they're not going to lose two games over the course of a season well we'll see Cork beat them in the first round of the league and they came out stronger and fitter and fighting so maybe he has a point mm. yeah yeah, maybe uh, in rugby the only position we have no proven international depth is at open side well I think like probably looking at Peter Romani as a potential seven he's played there played there for the Lions uh, Cluxon's the best keeper of all time you don't want to face that with the game on the line says Royal Armour also this narrative that Cluxon doesn't like attention is nonsense we are three days in and still talking about it yeah that's not he doesn't control that though Rory you know that and the other thing about um, if you're if you are uh, the best forward a generational forward and there's going to be a highlights reel of you winning a match for Kerry 
You absolutely want Stephen Cluxton in goals. You've been in the back garden dreaming of like sticking a path Cluxton your entire life and here's your chance to win an All-Ireland for Kerry. And it's like, you can, you can do it against Cluxton or you can do it against the guy that everybody's like, well, he, was, he wasn't he wasn't Cluxton's replacement, he was a replacement for Cluxton's replacement who was injured that season. Mm-hmm. Like, what do you, I don't, I think, that's, that you're, Rory, you're, Rory, you're pointing out the difference between us and them. We are mere mortals and they dream of being gods. Mm. <laughs> OTBAM with Gillette Labs get the ultimate shave or your money back Neon Night Edition available now on tomorrow's show Shabana Hearn reacts to tonight's Champions League in particular Katie McCabe's Arsenal Connor Moore's you had to be there and plenty more besides uh, right now the best of last night's football show happy hump day everybody OTB AM with Gillette Labs get the ultimate shave or your money back Neon Night Edition available now